Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome once again to another edition of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I'm Bob. It's been a week since we've recorded our last podcast. Exactly one week. And We're back on schedule. In in the last week, we've had quite a bit of fan response, which is really cool. It's fantastic. It definitely makes us feel like doing it more. Uh, when you have people that respond positively to the work that you do, however marginal it may be. Or negative. Right. Constructive criticism, criticism is what we're getting at. Right. Just interaction, period. It's uh, good. It, it makes us feel good. So um, as we had indicated last week, we wanted to start doing uh, some Q&A, and we don't really have an awesome name for it yet. We're just going to call it Q&A. We're just going to start the podcast <laughs> with that and just go over a couple of questions. You can ask questions. what You had a good idea. So I, I wanted to call it Deep in the Warrens with Nate and Bob, where we answer your questions, we read your comments, and we, we share the secrets of storytelling of Vampire the Masquerade. <laughs> um, Those great secrets. I don't know if that's going to stick. It's a little corny. If you think it's entertaining, let us know. If you think it's too silly, let us know. But, but Nate's been putting in work. We've been creatively going through this uh, off and on. But uh, definitely today, up and at him with the crack of dawn, getting this going. Yeah, in the last week, we've gotten, as of today, 52 followers on Twitter, which is awesome uh, because we had none a week ago. We've gotten a lot of questions on our Facebook page, a lot of new likes. So we really, really appreciate it because uh, sharing this podcast, getting other people to listen, it's really going to help us to propel the podcast forward. And that's that's the end goal. We're really happy, but skip all that. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. <laughs> so the first question comes from Jonathan Reeves. Uh, he says, hey, guys, my group just recently began our first Vampire the Masquerade game. We are all new to the system. I discovered your show a week before our first session in January. I find your book reviews very helpful in determining what I need for my library and what sections in each book to focus on for story ideas. Keep up the good work. I appreciate the ability to learn as a storyteller from two storytellers that have been at it for decades. My party question is, I have a mixed group with a Nosferatu, Torador, Malkavian, Gangrel, and Ventru. I'm having trouble finding things for my Nosferatu and Malkavian characters to do. The Nosferatu always immediately goes to the sewers when we start a session and wants to be left alone. The Malkavian character wants to be left alone most of the time, too, and shrugs off any sense of purpose. Do you have some advice on what types of scenes to build for them to include them in the story more? All right. Uh, to sort of tackle this, because I had it in my head, um, thinking, chewing on this for a little bit. Um, Jonathan, I would say, off the bat, um, the basics, right? So if you have a plot that you've built, and you have a story you're telling, you know, you would have cleared, obviously, the characters that are going to be played. And what I mean by cleared, thought about what an Asferatu might want to do, what a Gangrel might want to do, what a Venture might want to do. Whatever they chose to play, your plot should be tailored to include them in it. Now, undoubtedly, you did that, but I'm just mentioning that for posterity's sake. That said, always, in a, in a, in a vampire game, especially Camarilla side, any single player will seek to steal the show with what they have going on. And that's a good thing, right? Because they're passionate about it. They like their character. It's you're playing a normal dude sitting or, or woman sitting at a table 
and you're becoming a vampire, something else. So if they're playing a Nosferatu, which let's face it is quite, quite often a solitary uh, endeavor anyway, they're not real social, uh, at least amongst other kindred, you know, but going in the sewers to be alone in the dark. Okay. I would suggest finding out what specifically they're getting from that. And I don't mean asking them. I mean, pay attention. If they're down there and they're like trying to build a Warrens and build a home and talk to other Nosferatu and get connects and kind of build up, then your plot needs to be built up there. I don't mean tell them, don't worry this week, I got something for you. I mean, make it seem as if all that time they've been down there in isolation, they've been watched. You know, it's very easy for you to bring in an NPC that is tied and tethered to your plot. That's an Asferatu to come out of the woodwork and just basically be like, hey, are you, are you done messing around? I've been watching you down here for quite some time. Did you find what you're looking for? Because if you're done playing around, let's get to work, you know, and bring them in, bring them in the fold and have a mentor relationship established with that, especially with new people, uh, because quite frankly, nobody knows how to be a vampire. Right. But the book gives you a lot of keys to it. That's one idea with the Nosferatu. The other one could be if it's a person who's very independent uh, role player, meaning that they could easily sit with just you in a room and go through everything they want to do and you know just have a whole night of gaming just you and them bring the plot to them right quite often if a player is going to try to run from the plot they end up running to the plot because to me when a player becomes isolated they're begging the storyteller to bring them in that's that's a good thing for you that means they want your attention what it means is they have no immediate reason to hook up with anybody else in the group right Uh, my point was going to be um being that you're new to the game and uh, I don't know how long you've been a storyteller or how long you've been playing role-playing games, but one thing to keep in mind is that the game, especially from a Camarilla perspective, even from a Sabat perspective, it's a, it's a group function. So with the Camarilla, when you have a coterie, which is what your players are, that means that there's some reason for them to be bound together, some mutual goal, some uh, mutual fear, some, overriding desire that binds them together to help each other to work towards that goal so sometimes it helps just to set your players down and go look i like your concept i like the solitary nosferatu but how does that work towards the goal of this group game how does that fit into your coterie and with both the nosferatu and the malkavian we've both been in situations where the last thing we want to do is be alone (laughs) The Nasratu and the Malkavian can be, um, you know, creepy and dark and, uh, you know, out in the shadows, but they can also be horrifying and frightening with a Malkavian, you know, being alone means being by yourself with your insanity. Exactly. It means having nothing to focus on, but the fact that you have voices in your head or you suffer from debilitating depression to everything you ever do is wrong and it's going to fail to you name it to interacting with other Malkavians who may not be as normal and functional as the players Malkavian and their focus on that. Letting them know, like, look, th- this is this is what you're you're bound to experience, or just having them go through that process and go, okay, being alone sucks. Being being with my coterie is much better, or being with my pack is much better, and especially from a pack perspective. And you're going to say something, Bob? Uh, yeah, no, I was it's good stuff. Uh, I didn't want to interrupt, but uh, the uh, thought that stuck with me is that there's also a, a thing where if you're dealing with a smaller group, 
Um, and I have to state this. I just, just by, like you said, decades of storytelling, I have a loyal group of upwards to 15 people. And yes, I sometimes will run a game session at night in a house with 15 people in a woefully small apartment, <laughs> right? <laughs> Wait, waiting to get these scenes in to play their characters. How do I juggle all that? How do I get them together? And I already gave you part of that, but one great thing to do, especially in vampires, especially new and starting out, even when not starting out for those who are experienced, the blood is a life. It is all, it is very easy to get all of them to relate to one another based off a dynamic feeding scene. Case in point, the Nosferatu is not going to be living on animal blood unless that's his concept, but then has to realize that if you're full up on animal blood, the next human you come across, you're probably going to eat whole. You're going to swallow them completely and cause a horrendous breach to the masquerade and, you know, get in trouble with the deputy, the sheriffs. That in itself could be a story on a one-nighter basis. Um, but it might be the masquerade breach that pulls the characters together. You know, Anas has a messy feeding. The Malk saw it in a solitary walk in the streets, wasn't certain if it was real or not. You know, Malk gets accused because the Nas disappeared, you know, but the Nas is just, he panicked. He didn't know what to do with it. There's the Malk standing there. He didn't think he had to disappear because he didn't do it. He gets taken in for question. The deputies understand, you know, the Torador is brought in because he or she uh, has a way with speaking with people and kind of getting them to open up and learns that this Malk is batshit, but he did see something and has to now work with him to go back. And the Venture gets assigned to go with him to make sure it doesn't get out of hand masquerade wise and that's a hurting method right that forces them to kind of interact with one another as players and find a common ground and as nate already said sure you're supposed to be kind of a coterie and work together and often in particular with vampire if you're not running a larp and a tabletop you should kind of set that up in the beginning right uh to where hey you know we're all playing a group game before we make these characters let's keep that in mind so let's talk about what I got going on and we'll hear what you got going on and we'll find the common ground and kind of be in each other's cell phones. So we have a friend group to kind of go through immortality with. Right. You know, or give the Nosferatu access to something that the rest of the coterie needs that behooves that coterie to include him or to placate him to the point where he's around. He begins to trust them. A lot of times what's worked for us in games, especially tabletop games, because LARP is kind of a different animal, but in tabletop games, what really has worked for us in the past is sitting down for a night before you actually start running that game and just talking with all of your players, having your players interact and help to create that story beforehand so that they know, okay, I am in with, you know, Nosferatu, Chucky, who you know, it does this, that, or the other because of these reasons, because we have this, this history already, you know, it, the game is a game of political intrigue, but your group needs to realize that they are in it together. They're there to watch each other's backs with their unique talents, their, their needs, their wants, uh, you know, the Nosferatu's ability to gather secrets or to hide and find a, or, or a conversely, haven. they're not. I mean, this is not, this is what the, the free flow part about White Wolf and I enjoy their games in the world of darkness is yes, we're all supposed to be here together. We're not the get along gang. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because it, they don't have to be friends. About, right. What we're talking about is it's a prestation systems in place for a reason. People may owe one another. Yeah. Because they helped each other out and that's a reason to get along, but they're still snipey to one another. Right. Have their own social cliques and mentors and all that. And, and they should. And that's one element but if they all want to get along like they're it's notorious with D D players and i don't shit on that at all i myself play D on occasion uh, but i often 
I kind of feel it's kid kid wheels, right? Training wheels when you're I'm the fighter. We're all in a group. Yay, we're friends. That's a given. Now let's go do them. I'll go to sleep long before the game starts. Right. Because that's just how it's based. World of Darkness is how do you socialize normally, you know, and watch take a shot at it off your comfort of your home in the in the world of imagination. And that's really kind of the length and breadth of it. Yeah. Uh that, to that question. I hope that answers it or at least generates some uh some ideas for you. And uh the last thing I'd say, the other idea is an advanced idea. And it takes a lot of time and effort on your part. But if you're serious about storytelling, it's worth it. I would take those characters and make up another coterie. Keep those characters in mind that they made. Make up another coterie from the same clans. Give them all their own reasons, knowing how these players are playing now. And have them take a look and give them a story. A reason they're together. Just try that out. And then NPC, you know, do it for a night. Have them play the new characters you made. And then um, you were playing them, NPC, their player, their uh, their characters, the way you've seen them role play, and try to play what they have given you. Nine times out of ten, and what it sounds like here, I know there's not much detail on how the game got together and how they made their characters. It seems like you guys got a hold of the game. Sounds great. Grabbed the book, opened up, found a cool one or th- two things that that made a character cool to put on paper. Found a clan you kind of groove to, and then boom, I'm not ready to play a character. My name is Gothmoth and Osferatu. Well, here's the thing. There was a clan book. There's a whole process to making this character start up. Um, kind of walk through who you were in life, what, what that means when you're dead. What's it like being a vampire? What's your life like in the city? What's the city structure like? There's a lot of questions to ask that does negate. In other words, put them from being a simple player they put on a sheet and give them life. Breathe life into them by making it three-dimensional. Likes, dislikes, wants, mentor, sire, merits, flaws, all that. Sing the story together. And I promise you what that player is going to find, particularly that Malkavian and Nas, is that they're going to need everybody else. Because here's this whole city they belong to where it's probably not safe to be a loner. It's prob- it, I can guarantee you it's not in the Nosferatu Warrens because here's the one rule I'm going to give you as a storyteller. Because there, there are some players who are just dicks. You know, they're your friends, but they refuse to get along with the group. That person's going to realize alone, welcome to how the Anarchs get treated. You know, when an Anarch doesn't have to announce himself at Elysium, they end up getting blamed for all the bad shit that goes right. on. Uh, when, when, you have a, when you have an individual that is left to their own devices, they have no support, they have no one to back them, they have no status within the city, that becomes a target for someone who's going to get blamed for a very bad crime. Because it's very easy to go, yep, uh, you know, Mort Glog the Nosferatu is the one who broke the masquerade. Is there anyone who would stand up for him to defend him? Well, no, because he doesn't have any friends. And no one knows who that is. Right. Nobody knows who he is. The sheriff. Right. Because and he hasn't even met him. The deputies are aware of him somehow. And, you know, we're or maybe probably more than likely the harpy knows because the Nosferatu Permagen has been talking about he has a new member who just isn't around, just right. isn't involved. And in vampire society, and particularly for the Camarilla, if you're invisible and you don't participate, you're a myth. Right. You know, and if you, you're a scapegoat is what we're getting at, unless you have the power to be in that area. And we'll get into that today, actually, because a lot of this is addressed. Some of this is addressed in the players. Actually, all of this, now that I think about it, is addressed in the player's guide. Um, but Alrighty. Thank you, Jonathan, from your question. Our next question comes from another John, and I'm, I might brutalize your last name, but uh, John W. Brees. 
I believe is how you pronounce that. If I pronounce it wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, he had two questions. Uh, first, can you guys do me a favor and please uh, do me a f- can you guys do me a favor, please, and define the term splat book? So first question, splat book, um, it's pretty simple in its definition. Uh, it's a source book devoted to a particular facet, character class, or fictional faction in a role-playing game, uh, providing additional background details and rules options. So for example, clan books, tribe books, tradition books, these are, called, these are considered splat books. The term actually, uh, it describes it for any game. It's not just exclusive to White Wolf, but the term came from White Wolf. And uh, it has to do with how the books used to be, um, uh, how, the, how they were arranged in, in groups, uh, news groups. Uh, they were called asterisk, like there was an asterisk next to the book. And the asterisk was just known as a splat. So that's now, called a splat book. And that term even went further defined because how the common, I guess the urban... Uh, definition for it is the sound that it's not a hardcover a non-hardcover gaming book is a splat book because the sound it makes when it hits the table people call that a splat book word of mouth the other two definite i mean we've given you all the definitions but that's the very technical to that and that is a splat book yeah it'd be the same thing like with dungeons and dragons if you you know you had like a fighter's guide or you know something like that it's it's basically a non-primary non-hardcover book splat essentially yeah (laughs) uh you're the second question, uh, second question, re-listen to episode six, could, uh, I'm sorry, would a cam vampire be shunned for refusing an office or court position? Why or why not? This is my bread and butter. I mean, of anything, I'd say um, as a player, as a storyteller, I am draconian politics. And what I will tell you is that if you are role versus in history, uh, learning about the Medici and the one who someone appropriately addressed us as how to pronounce it's not the giovanni book it's the giovanni yes yes also we've been pronouncing giovanni incorrectly for 20 years it's pronounced giovanni (laughs) so the giovanni so i may even have that wrong uh i believe it's medici though uh the medici family invented a lot of what we would call the art of the deal uh, the way to get maximum benefit to you without and this is key the way to be Medici about it, or even to a level of Draconian, Draconian comes later. Let's just work with that. Their method was, how do I get everything I need to a great advantage without putting the target on my back? In other words, I can have, what's that old adage? Um, do a, well, This is the bull adage. Father bull's talking to the baby bull. Uh, the only one I know of is uh, mess so, the bull, get the horns. Well, no, well, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, there's one that says, you know, here's, here's all these cows chilling, in the, chilling at the bottom of the pasture. And the father bulls up there with his son, and his son's like, you know, I'm going to rush down and get the get exactly the one I want. And his dad goes, no, no, son, that's not the way you do it. You got to walk down and get them all. That's the idea. That's kind of the Medici way of doing it, because in that cow analogy, sure, his son's going to rush down and only get one. He achieved his goal, gets his benefit, and that's what it is. But you want to walk down and make sure you're getting maximum benefit. And maximum benefit is eventually, with patience and time, planning you will get every single thing that's coming to you as you need it now the other half of that um that formula is to make sure that all your rivals never know you're a rival so your friend is your friend right that's actually a patsy because you're a vampire you gotta look at look at it this way i'm translating to vampiric politics now get more draconian with it because um let's face it i'm immortal and you're my friend now 
but we have forever for that relationship to change. Right. We don't know where it'll be a century from now, even a week from now. So friends are a loose term. Well, we're together. We right now are allied. That's great. I want to make it seem as if I'm your buddy for all time, no matter what we're doing, because I'm only your buddy because of a benefit you give me. And until that benefit goes away, there you have it. Well, I have enemies. My enemies don't like me because I'm gaining over them. I'm moving up in the world and I'm stepping on their head to do it. They're trying to rip me down. So I uh, recommend take a lot of that into consideration politics, however you want to look at it, whoever you want to groove to, and understand Camarilla politics is the ultimate representation of all those things. Um, if you like political Senate relationships in Rome, historically, and this is another great one, where how the halls of power interact and go with, and White Wolf pulls a lot from that, actually, um, in trying to imagine what's going on. Right. Now, in your question, will you be shunned? Yes. You'll be shunned for not, accept, not accepting a position of power, because undoubtedly, your sire embraced you for a reason. Right. And everyone's sire who embraces them doesn't even matter if it's out of passion, right? Doesn't even matter if it's accidental. I now need to gain benefit from your existence. Right. Amongst our, and amongst our social circle here in the city, because I'm trying to move up. We're all trying to move up. That's why we're in the camera. Right. So if that's the case, any position offered to me is fantastic and needed because I can use that position to great benefit. Case in point, there's a lot of people who like to say, uh, eh, being the harpy is not that big of a deal because <laughs> it's not the sheriff, <laughs> right? You know, it's not the primogen, you know, I don't still no halls of power, no meetings. All right, fair, I get you, but you talk to everybody. You have right to talk to everybody, to socialize, to hang out, catch them in their good moods, their nights out at the club, when they go feeding. You know, you're, you you were around when the prince is cracking jokes about his day and age. Right. No one else gets to see that side of the prince. And essentially, your opinion of the court is the opinion of the prince. It's the opinion of the elders, and in a manner of speaking. And that's depending. Nate, Nate and a lot of people, I've seen, Nate has a great, I, often I do see it that way. Because if Harpy's done right, the whole city should not see you as a power figure. They shouldn't. You just be a guy to talk to that really knows a lot of things, knows what's going on, is really handy to have around, and is always at Elysium. But that's because I'm in the ranks of the Harpy. You get what I'm saying? Right. It's perception. If I'm in with the Harpies, conveniently, I know where all the gatherings are going to be. I know the moods of some of the people that are going to be in the know to know from the elders to the title holders. Um, I know a lot. And that's great because I'm, a, I'm an okay number one guy. If I'm in the outs with the harpies, I'm not invited to those meetings. I have no opportunity to move up. I might even be a scapegoat politically. Folks are making fun of me. Think back to high school. If you were the in crowd, that was amazing. High school was a glory dream, right? Right. All the way up to prom. But if you were in the outcast, which most of the people who play White Wolf seem to be, or a lot of these role-playing games are, you definitely know what that's like. You, you know, your perception was you're in your own personal hell. No one wanted to talk to you to work real hard to get a friend or four. And even then, it was just, just awkward. Right. And you don't know what to do. That's the same thing. That's the system they set up for vampire interaction. So, yeah, it's a great benefit to have a title member because that almost guarantees you you're in with the in crowd. Right. And, and also, I think, uh, um, depending on how you run your game, and I'll, I'll use that as the sort of blanket caveat, depending on how you run your game, it, refusing a title or refusing a position indicates that it is a choice. Because if the prince says you are going to serve as my A, 
if you have the status to go, no, I'm not doing that. Chances are he's not going to give you that position in the first place. He's not going to assign that to you. So refusing prestation, refusing status indicates that you don't want to participate in the system, which means, well, we don't need you on Elysium. We don't need to consult you for your sage advice. In fact, you don't have the standing to even participate. And also, um, in certain books, and uh, I've read this, I'm not sure which book I've read it in, but they talk about using position as a punishment. They're forcing you to do something to see whether you succeed or you fail. The intent is usually that they hope you fail, depending on how your game runs. Again, uh, I personally... I, I've never really experienced anybody. Which, the refusing. point you're making was out of the Permagen book they made. Yeah, I, I believe so. Road, and what they talk about is the term lesser uh, whip, the whip of the Permagen right. clan. That's what they're referring to. Right. I give you this position to be the Permagen when I'm not around. Right. Because you're now the, you're the in crowd for our clan only. Right. And yes, it's a punishment because you want to, you went, usually you went for a city position or ideally your arrival for my own Permagen seat. Right. Let's see how you handle more responsibility right. because I think you're going to choke. And, right. and even if it doesn't seem you'll choke on your own, I can set it up to where you will. Oh, absolutely. And, and that, that's, that's what I mean, you know, by using it as a, as a punishment, it, it, it can take many facets, but at the end of the day, would you be shunned? I think at some point by someone, whether it's the city, whether it's your clan, whether it's your sire, there's going to be problems. Now let's look at the other side of the coin. I could say no. I could easily make an argument to where, yeah, you're fine. You refuse the position because it all depends on the strength of your prince, honestly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And the hierarchy in your city. If your prince is someone you respect and their city is amazing, like say it's Washington, D.C., and the, the prince better be a powerhouse because of how easily the masquerade can be broken there. In canon, he is a powerhouse, and that whole hierarchy structure is very hard to move up in. So if you're offered a position, you take it. Because it's it's power, right? right? You literally power from the teat of the prince. Now, if you've earned the position, you were already gunning for him anyway, so there's no refusal, right? So, and I think that's the distinction he was getting at. There's, there's earning yep. it, and there's being offered it. You know, when I'm not really offering it. If I'm a powerful prince and I offer native position on my council, he doesn't get to refuse me. Right. Because that's embarrassing me in my court. I, I look because at... Because it makes it seem as if I don't have clout. Right. With this guy to even, he doesn't even respect me enough to go with it. Right. If you, if you, uh, to, to like make a comparison, at least in my mind, when you look at like a film, right? Uh, if you watch, um, Snatch, Bricktop is definitely in the middle of that movie is definitely a prince. He asks you if you want the position, but you're getting it anyways. He's telling you you're going to put your boxer in. He's not asking you. You can say no, but where are you going to end up? Towards the end of the movie, different story. But when you look at the the power that your prince wields, if your prince, like you said, with DC, people kindred quiver at the power that that individual wields. So questioning whether or not you're going to take a position that he gives you, it's not even a, it's not even an option. And and let's let's get right to it. An ideal prince, and we're talking a, a gilded cage here. It is, but we're talking golden city. Don't care what city you pick, whatever's just the powerhouse you've built in your in your game, that prince will never be the one to tell you he gave you anything. Right. That's not how that works. Um, he would be the one to have a seneschal tell you. And a seneschal is an amazing position. They're the ones who get to tell you the opinions of the prince, 
because they're handling they're spinning all the political plates to let the prince know what's going on in his or her city that's the point of the seneschal is to keep the city afloat internally politically the very definition of seneschal uh mayor domo if you if you prefer however the prince sole job is to be the enforcer of the traditions none more importantly than the masquerade when you realize that the prince has to be the eldest and most powerful in the city if not by age and, and sheer discipline power then he has it by influence often it's both and is needed because they, he should be a powerhouse amongst all the elders amongst the peers now that said when might i shun the position i choose to be a maverick and not nah, i don't want your damn position well that's great if you're an up-and-comer looking to make a rival of the prince or looking to make a rival of the person who offered it to you publicly right so let's say i'm in i'm a bruja ancilla i'm just starting up i'm an idealist we went over that in the podcast previously but just to define it I have my rebellion to me, but I've tempered it with logic, right? I definitely have an agenda. I definitely have a revolution I want, but I'm not going to go about it burning the city. I'm going to change the hearts and minds that I can and, and, and assemble my soldiers before I take the field of combat to, to make it happen. I have an ideal, and I'm working toward that. So politics is part of it. However, in the midst of this, the prince sees what I'm doing, and I'm gaining favor in court, and I'm doing things, and a couple of whips like me, and thus it puts a positive spin to the primogen the few times i run to the primogen they're kind of they're talking to the harpy about me he's all right he's done a few things for my clan it's cool that he's here you know i'm moving up the social ranks now that prince may set it up if they fear me at all if they even care to say you know what he's so good make him a deputy which honestly that's a hot seat the deputy is a great position moving up for a guy who can't be sociable get how this works a deputy is the heavy hitter they have to be the one that establishes fear for the sheriff right because they're the sheriff's enforcers right you know they got to go in and get that guy who who said you know what i'm not going to get acknowledged fuck presenting myself to the prince i don't give a shit and so what's going to happen there is is yeah you're going to see the the sheriff's bully boys which are going to be the deputies they're going to harass you and or stake you drag you to the deputy to be vetted to make sure you're not sabot or some something worse and then if you're if you are Camarilla and for whatever reason, Rip Van Winkle Elder just woke up and stumbled into town and didn't have the power to fight off the deputies or social your way past it, yeah, you get brought to the prince and that's the prince's judgment. Now, that's this one aspect of it, but that deputy position gets dangerous is the point I'm making. You know, no matter what the situation, you're the one to go at the Sabbat threats, you're the one to hunt down the masquerade breachers, you know, and the sheriff gets the credit usually if the sheriff's running his job right now if i'm that bruja idealist i didn't want that position you know because i could have had it i could i could have used that and moved up that side of politics right where i'm gonna go to for the sheriff and the sheriff tells people this dude's a heavy great dude but really a deputy position is kind of a dead-end job in a lot of levels um now it can be wielded to power don't let me get that wrong but we're going with this scenario so at that point yeah, sheriff's like, look, you're my deputy now. We need you to do this. I mean, and I tell the sheriff, you know, pound sand. There's no way. There's no way. I'm taking this position. I don't want that responsibility. That's not how I envision how this city should be ran. That's not what I'm participating in. And that sheriff has to sit there and analyze that. You know, if he didn't frenzy and try to kick the shit out of me, you know, and that's my risk, right? If the point is, if I refuse the position, I better have the power either politically or physically 
to handle the back the back the blowback from it. And if I can handle the blowback from it, then that makes me a power player in that city, either politically, physically, or both. And if I'm suddenly a power player, every elder now has to acknowledge me and look at me in a different light. You know, before I was just this guy coming up, getting stuff done. I was a troubleshooter. I was a mover and shaker. No big deal. Now I'm someone who's forced the prince to look at him because that's what that does when you refuse a position on the prince's hierarchy. In another way, I want you to think of the time of kings and queens. If the king and or queen offered you title and land, you took it. The only way you did not take it is if you already had land and needed just money, the money equivalent or what have you. And even then, you probably still took it because you can get money off the new land, right? But if you refused it, that made you a conspirator. That means you got something going on. And now all eyes are on you because they need to know what the hell reason could you possibly have to not take the keys to the city that were offered to you. And so that's all Vampire the Masquerade. That's all drama and intrigue one way or the other. Um, but it definitely puts you on notice. You know, right. you're basically putting a bullseye on you when you choose to right. refuse the position. But you it can shows do it. you direct opposition. All right. Well, that's questions and answers or secrets of storytelling with Nate and Bob. Let's get on down to the book. Sweet. All right. So today we are reviewing the Player's Guide Second Edition. Uh, this one was released in 1993. And uh, it brings uh, brings a decent amount of new stuff to the table. It so real quick, I want to address. Can I do that? Yeah. Real, okay. I want to address a part about character creation and goes into in the book. It says a uh, character creation can be as simple or as complex as the, as the troop wants it to be. Um, if someone does not want to do any work, he could simply use the sample characters from the book, and that's that. On the other hand, if he wants to flesh out his own vision. Then, and I do mean that, flesh out his own vision. That's the definitive passion for what they're doing. Then he could use these rules in this revised second ed, right? That's the idea. And uh, add in the new archetypes, further define the character with merits and flaws, and you suddenly have the one thing all everyone should, be, should feel when they're playing vampire, a uniqueness. A level of, we can all be Bruja, but we're, we're distinctly different Bruja from one to the next. Or Bruja, I don't know. <laughs> we're gonna keep calling it bruja because that's what we've called it for it's, since it's, the dawn it is, of time it is bruja because it's from brujo is the other the other pronunciation it comes from but we'll yeah it's... we'll stick with the slang for now but <laughs> um because no one said anything about it so we'll stick with bruja so you know what we're getting at bruja the clan um but i digress giovanni but anyway um we're <laughs> i really i want to say this i'm only saying that because i want to repeatedly get that in my head because i think it's very cool when you get the actual term because it kind of adds depth to it right I don't know. When you say Giovanni, you're like, eh, I get why they would be like, what the? F no, it's, it's, it's Giovanni. You know, just like, you get, get that, can you just say it right? Because it's, it's passion. It's cool. Don't bastardize my language. And I get it. Um, but sorry, back to the character creation process. This book puts it on the map for just those reasons. Now, it doesn't get an all in depth on the ideas for characters and influences and where you can pull from to get your creativity from. You sure already have an idea of that. When you're coming to sit down to make a vampire, right. that's all in the base book, right? That's where you kind of get your, the seeds planted. This book is making you specific. For instance, in merits and flaws, I'm going to pick out a couple of good ones here that just aren't, I think they went away. And I, th I, I really feel that some of these should be brought back. Um, one higher purpose in tabletop. 
higher purpose is you have a goal that drives and, and directs you in everything. You do not concern yourself with petty matters and casual concerns because your higher purpose is all, right? Right. Really, they got away from this because basically we're talking about idealism. But I'm not talking about putting taking the one-point merit and putting on your sheet. I'm saying just reading higher purpose. Reading their definition. It's a good, pair, solid paragraph that's like, yeah, that's yeah. that's how you're an idealist. That's how I go about it. And that merit is where it's, it, earn, it earns its place in the book. Another one is Berserker. Berserker says the beast is in you, but you know how to direct and make use of it. That line right there is everything. Because, you know, to be a berserker, we know where it comes from. You know, the Vikings had berserkers. It's definitely where we get the idea from. And this is talking about that. When you wear the bear shirt, as it said, you're, you're going to friends. You give in to your beast, but you're practiced at it. So you know how to take that, that ferocious energy of just depravity and, and violence, but direct it at your source. This says you can do it at will. Um, now, I think it's cool because it, it really gives you an idea that, okay, cool, we all have this beast, we're all this monster, but it is possible to not only adapt to the monster to eventually get it to work for you, and it gives you this idea. Because I think a lot of people see the beast as something where they're like, well, all right, I failed my frenzy role, now I guess the storyteller's going to tell me what I do. Right. They divorce themselves immediately from it. But when you read this merit, it puts the thought in your head, all right, well, I wonder if my beast can have its own personality then. What's wrong with that? Absolutely. Right. And, and that's one thing that we've done in, in some games where your your nature really helps define how your beast decides to lash out. Um, it's, it's a cool concept. Uh, but basically, you know, to, to just imagine that everyone's beast is just this ravening, just frenzying, tear everything apart sort of monster. That makes sense. But that in and of itself can be peppered. And things like this, the, these merits that you're talking about, they help to paint that picture that exactly. you're trying to paint. So I'm saying look beyond the numbers. Right. Look, look beyond that I got an extra two points to spend on my character, or this cost me points, and here's the mechanic benefit. A lot of times it's the wording. It helps you, as Nate just said, you know, paint the character to make it, give it that unique feel. There it is. And this book has, is chock full of a ton uh, of merits and flaws um, i'm going to give another good one that people got away from well i can give you one names i don't have to define them but like stuff like in the psychological section uh, they talk about mild phobias we don't have to take derangements and all of us are now insane right you know some derangements had flavor to a character because they need it not all malcavians don't own the derangement sections you know it's you can over time develop right. a lot of interesting and, mental disorders. And if we if we look at some of the characters in the previous book that we were talking about at this point in time, there were a lot of characters that had a number of derangements. Easily. Derangements are very difficult and they can be very crippling. But you know, I might have a phobia of spiders, but I am not going to be incapable of function. You're not gonna kill me because you have a spider in a jar <laughs> tied around your neck. Right, right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's just, just not gonna happen. And uh however phobia is of what a phobia is like right. a good idea for a vampire who's lived a century i might have a phobia of smartphones right i just i just can't get beyond the fear that you know everything i own can be accessed from this phone if i need it or i can now buy things sent to my own for that might flip me out i may want the privilege of picking it up or going to this you know what i mean yeah. it's it's old idea but it's flavor we're adding flavor so I like this too, pre-exclusion, because I think this definition needs to be brought to the front. Um, and I'm only reading, I said I wasn't going to, but I feel this needs to, because there is a difference between this one and the next editions that still keep it. 
It says you refuse to hunt a certain class of prey. For instance, an animal lover might decide to hunt only humans, or a character might decide to spare a class of person she particularly admires, whether it's police, teachers, medical professions, clergy, peace activists, and so on. You, um, you are disturbed when others feed from this type of prey and could possibly enter a frenzy. That is why I like this. This talks about, it's not prey exclusion. I, I won't feed on Nate. Right. Give me my points. Give me my points. No, it's I won't, not only why not feed on Nate, it's people like Nate. That, you know, whatever I feel Nate is, you know, it's people like him. And when somebody goes to feed on them, that upsets me. Right. You know, and it should. And that's important because prey exclusion means basically in your eyes, no vampires should feed from this type of people. Right. It's you are you are wholly excluded from the palate of my vampiric tastes. And it, it really what you were talking about there where, where it talks about like f- the frenzying thing. It's designed more to add a character element where, you know, you say, like, I, I will not feed on on Christians. Right. Why won't you feed on Christians? Well, because they're God's chosen people or whatever. They're they're the most pious. They should be left alone. They should not be fed upon. I won't feed on small children. Well, I find that vampire that does. We're going to be at odds real quick. Easily. Easily. Um, now I'm going to go to a, a classic. Iron Will. Need to know this because this is hotly contested, or at least was back in the day, as to Iron Will was good or bad. This is where they get the definition of where all players wish it would go back to. <laughs> Under Iron Will, it says, when you are determined and your mind is set, nothing can thwart you from your goals. You cannot be dominated, nor can your mind be affected in any way by spells or rituals. However, the storyteller may require you to spend willpower points when extremely potent powers are directed at you. Now, I want to point this out. If you want to join me in the hall of logic, 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 just make sensory, you know, the land of duh. It's a three point merit. This merit in this book was put here was OP when they put it in here. Oh uh, yeah. It's incredibly overpowered. Why? Cause Dominic goes up to level 10. And so what's the cost of a discipline tabletop? Can anybody do the math? If it's an incline? <laughs> well, uh, geez, let me, let me try to remember let's, my Let's tabletop. just say you're my mentor and taught me dominate. Yeah. I have to buy it. That cost me 10 points. Yeah. So the three point merit automatically negates my, my, my 10 point. <laughs> right. My, just my investment. Right. Not only that, well, let's see incline. It's what times five. Yeah. I Out believe it's times, times seven times five times seven. Yeah. And is it a current rating? At this point, yeah, I believe it's CR, it is. CR5 or CR7. All right, so let's we could do simple math. So if I get all the way up to level five, right? Let's just say I'm going from four to five. We'll just do it that way. So I'm going to get a level five dominate. Worked weeks of game sessions to get to it. And it was all about my character, and I'm certain it was very well done and in, in character. It wasn't just I spent the points. I'll get into that later. But so now it's going to cost me 15, right? Mm-hmm. If, I, if I'm, if I'm going to get it. Oh, to get level five? Yeah. It's going to cost you 25. Thank you. 20. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry. 20. So um, now I said I did that on purpose, right? Because the point is, is that when you hear someone say to you, um, Iron Will is only three points. So that negates your 25 expenditure. Are you serious? Right. Does that what? Why, why the hell do I have this discipline then? Right. What's the point of this discipline? It should be the same shock as you hear somebody doing simple math and fucking it up. And that's why I did it that way. I wanted you to hear that difference. And this Iron Will... I, I would say of of whoops, this is White Wolf's first whoops in terms of writing this because this is where it's like unbalanced as shit. Because the storyteller now gets to go, it's in the book. 
man, I want to run this game. And this person is playing somebody who's incredibly determined. Well, who should have iron? Who should be allowed to have iron? Will? that's a good one. Right. I would say a player at, at th- this version of iron. Will. Mm-hmm. I would say if I had a player that Malkavian, we'll just use John's Malkavian uh, that he mentioned Reeves, right? That was the name. I don't want to get that wrong. Uh, no, we got it wrong. I might have it wrong, but um, no, you're, you're, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. John Reeves, he, he mentions this Malkavian. We don't, we don't know nothing about the Malkavian. We don't know anything about them at this point, other than they like to be alone. What if that Malkavian has been incredibly abused their entire life as a mortal, all the way up into been in, been in and out of homes growing up, parents died in a horrible car crash. Now they were in this insanitarium, the sanitarium, and a Malkavian there chose to embrace them because this person institution has been raped by orderlies, pushed around by doctors, hasn't had a say in their own life, and it's just this frothing internal rage machine with all these mental disorders that developed from that no one's helping him he embraced him as a joke what if when they died that person washed themselves of their past like literally blocked it out they they do not acknowledge they were ever that person and that's why they're alone because they feel that they are born again hard like they came back not even death could deny them life and so that malkavian's walking alone because they have this iron wrought will that defies the norm that like that makes them who they are and at that point is it even three points anymore but what i'm saying is as a storyteller i might go i like that concept you're a neonate walking around whose derangement you know you have a delusions of grandeur as your derangement and you believe nothing can conquer you because you've survived all this stuff that's in the past and what does not kill you only makes you stronger thus you walk the road alone great you probably like Crom as well and Conan's your king. And it's, <laughs> and it's golden, but you have Iron Will. I, as a storyteller, would say it'll be harder to dominate you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we can look at uh, uh, something like Magic Resistance, which is a two-point merit, so it's one point less. And any thaumaturgy, any ritual, it raises the difficulty by two. Now, there's a, there's a drawback to that, too. You can't learn thaumaturgy. But it doesn't make you immune to magic. Right. It makes you resistant. So for one additional point, they could have just made it magic immune. I think it was just an oversight on their part. I, I think it is too. And, and that's why I say it's a mistake. I'm not saying it's yeah. they suck. I'm saying no, absolutely. that you're going to make mistakes. And it's why they revise it later on. Yeah. But I point it out because you will have players that go, I want old school iron will. That's the old school iron will they're talking about. And that's when I get into a term, twink, cheese mm-hmm. monkey. That's those are red flags that your player might right. be looking to hedge a bet right. there. But then you know they can bring up the unboundable. You know the it's that's a three point merit, and uh, I believe that there's a presence version of it in like the Torador clan book as well. It's like blase or something like but that. But really, or, unboundable is kind of a. I, I really like it. I think unboundable is fantastic for a lot of reasons. Oh, I'm just talking. Uh, uh, I'm I'm devil's advocate here. Oh, okay. I, okay. I, I don't I don't see them as the same thing, but that's. In conversations of this nature in the past that yes. has been used as the defense, well, blood bond, blah, 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 but you don't have to pay XP for a blood bond. And, and blood bond doesn't negate an entire suite of discipline. No, because guess what? If you don't, if I, if I can't bind you, I can still dominate you. Right. Your will is not your own. <laughs> right. So um, that's really, I mean, in here, when they introduce werewolf companions, that's unique that's brought in because we're tapping another genre right. and saying you can bring in, cause we still haven't had werewolf hasn't dropped or did drop. I, I think at this point it, the base book has dropped cause this okay. book, this yeah. book was released in 93. Yes, it did. So yes, I believe did. at this point we've gotten the first edition of uh, werewolf, the apocalypse. So vampire now is be using is, is now the flagship 
that they're starting to launch other other genres off of entirely. And Werewolf Companion here talks about the hardships of having a buddy who's a werewolf. It could be detrimental to the to the player, detrimental to the werewolf. You could have a story here. I, I think if you're a fan of Twilight, this is the merit to get. I mean, you can start towing in there if you want. Um, you probably don't play World of Darkness if you're a fan of Twilight, but if you do, you know, you're out there and you'll right. feel free. This is a good way to go about it. Um, this merit is kept. They call it Supernatural Companion later on. Sort of hits all genres. If you want one, have one, pick one, and you have it. Right. But I still like it because it specifically tells you, without the storyteller ever needing to be involved, how hard it could be uh, in having that uh, that werewolf there. Um, something that I am dead set to, or I won't get into that. I will say things I do like that they do keep. Taint of Corruption, Repulsed by Garlic, Repelled by Crosses, Can't Cross Running Water. These are all traditional vampire weaknesses that anytime a character wants to get on my good side they have at least three of those <laughs> they're right it's like, oh it's so delicious it's so off the bat we get each other you're you're a vampire you're, you're not you know i'm a vampire i go to clubs you know it's it's and it's a really cool flaw when your vampire is hunting you're the bruja and you're a bad motor scooter yeah and you're hunting down that that uh, that human that mortal trying to get his blood and he runs over the footbridge and you stand and you loom at him he's just brooding on the other side mad <laughs> maybe throw a sewer lid son of a bitch but you know that's it's good repelled by crosses i love repelled by crosses for so many reasons because this all speaks to me where you can and, and i'm a goon for this i'm a goof i'm very much a romantic and when i think of where the idea of repulsed by uh, garlic comes from i think of the carpathians where the mm -hmm. zemis call home where they've been li really living in isolation at the foot of this mountain range just laying waste to the mortal populace you know really creating their own world and these mortals can't go anywhere they can't flee and we even tried the crusades right in the world of darkness those, those we'll get into that later but they they tried to go in there same as they did you know coming from rome because they invented conquering mm -hmm. go italy but uh that's the that's the idea and uh, when you get to the carpathians they did not break the zemis and you think, what's repulsed by garlic? It's purely the faith of the people that some weird idea like garlic is going to work. Right. Nobody knows where this comes from. Like, even even I have this uh, vampire anthology series of actual vampires where they get into it, and it's just uh, folklore. It's just folklore, because garlic is very pungent. So the idea was if you have enough of it, you put it around. No one likes that raw smell of garlic, and the undead have very sensitive senses of smell, and they can't be near it because it's, it's too whatever. I love it. I love it. Um, Repelled by crosses, though, really is awesome. Because if you ever have somebody who says, you know what? I got this idea for a character who's a bit old and is very religious, you know, but not true faith. Like he's, I always, I don't know why. I like to think that if I were made a vampire, right? If you just took me, made me a vampire, this idea of Bob right now, I would sit there and go, that's proof there's a God. There has to be. Because look at the power I wield now. And no one had any idea. And yet, look at the drawback right. that's here to it. That's amazing. Well, if I think there's a God, I'm going to be terrified there's a God now. Because I'm an immortal, and I'm feeding on the innocent. They're literally at my my whim. I can do whatever I want to them. There's nothing to defend them. How do I, I really hope there's something to save them? Add a decade to this mentality. And I've been going around feeding, doing what I want, and I become more jaded because humanity slips and slides, and that's how it goes. My family and friends are long gone because I probably fed them or ghouled them or both, and who knows? Right. And now I'm thinking I'm this little princeling in my own little neighborhood, and 
I go past the church and I just, I just look at the church and it's bothering me and I get out because I'm Lord of my demence and I go walking and I knock on the door, you know, just to be hospitable or arrogant, whatever. And I open the door and there's the priest and I can't bear to look at the cross. I can't, I can't. And it's because they have a deep seated guilt. If God's real, I knew his commandments. I learned that in, right. in, in Catholicism and now I'm repelled by it. And something I did put me here. Exactly. Put me out of the light of God, whatever your religious faith might be. Whatever it is. And I think that's phenomenal because here's where I want to give you a storytelling tip. Nick's the crosses aspect. Whatever religion that vampire comes from, if they're repelled by the, um, oh, what's another symbol? Um, I suddenly can't think of religious iconography. You know, a different cross or like <laughs> a, a different, different cross. cross. <laughs> a sigil, a Wiccan star, you know, right. what have you. Whatever the religion is, uh, the, the Kabbalist, Kabbalah, I don't want to. I don't even know how to, I'm butchering it. The Kabbalah symbol that they have too. It looks like the, uh, I, I actually, it's a, it's another sure, star. Yeah. It's another star. But anyway, point is whatever it is oh, yeah, dangling the, around. The, so much the Jewish six pointed star. There you go. Yeah. That could be, it could even be satanic. You could even go that route and have it be whatever you want. But the point is don't overlook that marriage as being the traditional. You right. can, I love it that way, but. And I think really the point to just sort of like summarize everything is that all of these things are designed for detail. They're designed not just to be like, ah, I got a inefficient digestion. Uh, I got to feed a little bit more. Well, if you don't ever take your your players through the journey or you as a player don't ever take the journey to go and experience what it's like to hunt down a human being and engage in essentially uh, assault, not even essentially literal assault, or uh, you're mentally removing their uh the the walls and and you're you're convincing them through cajoling them or manipulating them basically you're hunting someone for their life right and all those little details are really super important to get the feeling of this game to get the flavor of this game because we have to remember we're not any of us really playing heroes we're not the at good all. guys at all that is what the major difference from this game and and most of, of the other games out there, even the other White Wolf games, when you play a werewolf, you're pretty much the hero. When you play a mage, you're kind of the hero. You're way less a villain than you are when you're a vampire. When you're a vampire, you've been cast from the light of God or whatever religious you, religion you, you believe in, and you've been cursed. And now you hunt and pray on the living for your survival. You're a bad guy. Don't waste those opportunities to show where that horror comes from, where that horror can go. And that said, don't forget, a good hero can have a great flaw. Yeah. And in order to enhance it, too, we're fighting against the, the inevitable drop of your humanity. That's what the game's all about. Right. And if you're a high humanity vampire, play that. Right. But look, by look, God, uh, if you're a low humanity vampire, play that. Look, look at uh, a character, for example, look at a character like the Punisher. That's one of my favorite characters ever. But there's a guy who is a quote unquote hero, but he is not a good person. And any semblance of love and life that he has has pretty much been washed away. I uh, we got to differ on that, but I get the point. Uh, it's well, here's why. I think the Punisher has very low, um, I want to say humanity, um, but it, but not really, because see, people right. are great. But, but people are great. Exactly. And, and World of Darkness is great. 
And he's not a madman killing good people. He's a madman killing bad people. No, no, absolutely. And that's and that's so, the difference that I want to make because he is considered a hero, but he's not a good hero. <laughs> he's not. He's not a good guy. He's viewed by a lot of people as a bad. I guy. apologize. I have difficulty. What Nate's saying is, I guess, true. By he he has he has a he has a higher that purpose. That's those are the good people, right? But he has a higher purpose. But he murders people. Well. Um, Look, uh, we'll use this as an example. We'll stick with the Marvel Captain comics. Captain America was involved in a war. He used a gun. Right. I'm but just, right. Exactly. But <laughs> well, Captain I'm America, this, right, this right. purpose. I'm actually going along with you going, okay, cool. He's a hero in some eyes and I'm playing right. devil's advocate right. going, oh, is he? Right. He but, is. But there's nuance. Exactly. There, that's the key. There's nuance to those characters and, and you know, enough, enough nonsense about your characters. Put some nuance to them. Put put some detail, and and use these use these merits to do that. Merits and flaws. Uh, quick nod to the um, kindred ties se- or excuse me, the um, social side. Uh, and I want to warn you because uh, the kindred ties section they put in here talks about boons, prestigious sires, special gifts you can get from mentors. You kind of want to know that here they're kind of telling you uh, it's the birth of the prestation, right? Uh, that the that we're going to get into actually here in a minute. Uh, that they're trying to establish with the Camarilla proper of the benefits you can get. And these boons in here means you could start the game already being owed something by someone. And that could be of a benefit. We'll get to how that's a benefit later. But make sure your players are aware of it because it's great you want Iron Will and Unbondable, but you should check these out too. It'd be even better that you come into the city and you, you're best friends with the Harpy because they owe you. Right. You know, and you're going to dangle that on them. And that's. That's something to note because oftentimes that's not there. And these, this is something that will enhance a player as well, especially if you have those Tordor Adventure uh, stereotype players who enjoy those archetypes and want to play that. And how do they get to be unique? That's how they get to be unique. And, uh, you know, just to, to draw a com- conclusion there too, like how many games have we played in or been storytellers in where the iron-willed unbondable guy is expelled from the city by the end of the night? Right. You know, that that's one thing that you want to keep in mind too. When you're a player, you want to make a character that's going to be able to survive in the game. So you want to keep that in mind. And also as a storyteller, there, especially for like a beginning storyteller, there's an urge to just let, hey, run wild. Make whatever you want. We'll figure it out as we go. And I think you should. But be aware that that can create problems for you if you're trying to tell a story. I told Nate this a long time ago when I got him on staff and, and, and LARPing. Um, there's no such thing as a perfect game. It's not going to be. No. Or a perfect storyteller off the bat. Um, you were made that way. I was made to the level I'm at. I had to go through experience. I had to let people have seven generation all around, elder disciplines, and anything else they wanted to off the bat. And by the way, nobody ever played the game until that night. I, <laughs> right. I'm i not making that up. That was my first <laughs> tabletop session. I was just in love with it, had the books. And uh, me and some uh, some friends in high school were playing it. But man, those are the best game sessions, you know, because it was new to me and it was cool to see how the powers worked and we we're getting used to the rules. And it's there's an ownership a group has when they learn together and they understand together and they all have the oohs and ahs and those points where it's a little broken to have all this. Like, I really <laughs> feel that this is kind of bullshit. Right. You know, and it's like, yeah, OK, well, we'll work on that later. But then, you know, reset the game, remake characters, whatever you do, you'll go right. through a lot of versions. But the point he's making if you've already passed that point to where you've had everybody do whatever you want, and now we know the game, if you know the game, you know what the do's and don'ts. Right. Now it's time to get into the actual art of this game, to the subtlety of this game, 
to the political aspects of this game, which are really super important. And you can look at look look back at any of the the books already brought out. Every single one of the the city books, every city, uh, every single one of the source books, they talk about those politics. They talk about you know the harpies, and they talk about the Primogen Council. And it's not it's not a mistake. It's because it's a major focus of this game. You know, it is when when I first started playing this game, you know, I was like, oh, let's let's make characters and let's uh, let's roll dice. Let's let's throw chops. Let's figure out, you know, who's the baddest mofo can build the best character. But when, you know, someone had a conversation with me and said, look, this is a game of political intrigue with a supernatural setting. And right. that's one thing that you want to keep in mind. Once you get past all the the beaten up and you know, throwing chops and rolling dice. They have a place. Right. They do. Absolutely. But, but look at it this way. You're making an eloquent meal. Yeah. You're making an eloquent meal for you, the storyteller, to digest. I say this because for the players as well, but often they're the cooks. You're the one who has to represent the meal, and you're also the first one to taste it, quote, unquote. Okay. If you're, if you're, if you're going to make it, right? Sorry. No problem. If you're going to make this meal and go through this trouble, do remember the steps. This book already outlines them. We've already been to it. We've talked to it to minutia even and that's that's all i want to say because i get the idea of moving on because there's some cooler stuff coming but uh, for instance there's new archetypes yes in this book uh really look at them uh what i, what I would tell you the archetypes are used for uh here's a player secret for me to you i always look at archetypes first to get inspired because it's going to be the main thing i choose to role play right you know it's a, that's or, or i get an idea i might take two or three archetypes and take something from each of them and come up with a very intricate background and then add my clan and powers and everything else. Right. And that's how it goes. Um, and that's, that's what I use them for. So uh, with the new archetypes that are in here, some of them are a little off, uh, but some of them, like, they're new, but then revised, they're gone. Now, right. my personal opinion about archetypes is these, these terms, the, you know, masochist or mediator or whatever you want to pick, those are guides. and if you have you're playing if i were running the game and we're we're playing a revised edition or v20 and you're like hey you know what i really want to be a jobs worth i would say all right let me read it okay it makes sense if that's what you want to role play i'm going to let you role play it cuz really the word the term to me doesn't matter I, these are one of the few things that have been removed in revised and, and newer editions that i as a storyteller would be like yeah that's cool if you want to be a plotter or a paltroon, cool. And what he's saying, bring them back. They're ink that they didn't waste in other books because budgets and what have you. Right. And when you're looking at a budget scheme, if it's going to cost me umpteen amount of dollars per book to put this in there, and I'm looking to put a better content in, this got nixed. But you can get a hold of it still. I right. definitely think get this book for a lot of this content. Yeah. And, I, you know, if you're going to have an archetype that's going to help you role play or you want to role play a specific type of feeling and that's what's going to work for you, I'm never going to limit you. Or you know what? New players. I have no idea what this how to how to act or the first thing about making a vamp or not. Whatever that new feel is, tell them, hey, man, let's look at the archetypes they offer. Kind of read through them and see which one grooves with you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once they find one, they will find one. Anybody who's ever done this process goes, oh, man, that's kind of cool. All right. You, the storyteller, should go, well, I know what clan they may like. Here's a list of them. Pitch it to them. Walk through the process with them. And they will generate a character. They will get how that works. That's how you train them. Yep. Moving on from there, we come to some new paths of enlightenment. And these are paths of enlightenment that are specific to clans. Uh, we have uh, 
the uh, path of Typhon. They're they're they can be used by anybody, but they're designed more specifically for individual clans. So what's the path of enlightenment? Uh, path of, of enlightenment is an alternative way of dealing with your beast aside from humanity. It's basically foregoing your humanity. And we talked about it last week because we got for the first time all those new paths of enlightenment. But uh, there, you forego the the way of being a human being of trying to cling to that humanity and you learn to control or guide your beast in a different way. As I look at it, if you're on humanity still, you're not a vampire yet. You haven't said your goodbyes to the light. You're still clinging to your mortality. You're pretending. As it's, as it's sliding away and your humanity's falling, your beast is winning, you have to, there's some point you know, I have to make peace with what I am. The path of enlightenment is the mechanic that represents that peace you found however you have have found in whatever way. And there are many, right? They have a whole book f- dedicated to them that we'll get into later on. We're actually going to run into them here now, I believe, for the second time. Is this the first time or the second? These, these paths that are in here, these are new paths of humanity. These are Right, but to... we have we run a path of enlightenment before? I forget if this Yeah, we did, we did the last uh, with the Sabat Player's Guide. That's okay. where all the other paths of humanity or path, paths Thank of you. enlightenment. We just at. didn't get into them. That's that's right. right. We didn't dig in. super deep into them because right. they're very complicated. We're gonna dig into these uh, because one's only two. And yeah. The other half of it is I need you to get. If you're listening, please get your mind right around this. This is not. Eh, I don't want to play good guy. So I'm the next humanity. I'm gonna take this path. The process of getting on a path is because you're you got so close to losing it to your beast. Someone found you, or you found them, or a group of them, whatever the case may be. And what they were doing agreed with you and this new thing you're becoming. And then you flock to their ideals. Someone teaches you what those are and you just groove to it. And, and then you're on that path. I've been beating up the word groove, but um, you find a new way of life. You establish it, you become it. And that's, that's a path of enlightenment. It's a saving ground. So you could still be you be in control. Now um, path of Typhon Nate. Mm-hmm. That, that is a uh, Setite, a follower of Set-specific path uh, of enlightenment, and it espouses the exact opposite of what most people would find to be um, good and wholesome. It, it espouses dwelling in the depths of your weaknesses. It espouses pain, corruption, um, you know, the, all, the, all the terrible things that, that most of us uh, would, would, you know, try to stay away from this believes in the opposite and we have to remember the followers of set follow set set was an evil egyptian god so it would behoove them to act in a way that is considered evil by by most people uh by most vampires by most kindred the thing is about the setites um they're really good at that whole corruption thing so there's not a lot of people out there that are aware of, of the the depths of their their willingness to go the draw to a typhonite and the path of typhon a good set i would tell you there's no good and evil there isn't the world is not some raphaelite heaven where there's a dividing line and if you're on the left you're good if you're on the right you're bad that's simply not the way we are as human beings we're actually defined by our weaknesses our strengths are what we show everybody right if we're good at something it's the first thing you see that draws you to us we hide our weaknesses but are you truly strong if you're hiding your weakness? That's what I ask you. Are you strong? Well, I like to think that your weaknesses, if those are what you led with, if you embrace them, if you let them become you, if you're, 
If you're overweight, be overweight. Don't buy $10,000 worth of diet pills and a new diet and a makeover and liposuction. That's a weakness. You're literally backpedaling, telling the world that I suck, I suck, I suck. I'm going to do everything and go, go through it. You're wasting a lot of energy when you could just simply say, that's me and I'm over it. You know, for whatever reason, those are my life choices. Now I'm going to embrace in it, right? And the typhoon will tell you, enjoy this. Enjoy who you are. Eat more. Eat whatever you like. Enjoy. By the way, there are better things you could eat. I mean, tastier things. I'm not, you be the judge. <laughs> right. But have you ever had a child's eyeball? Have you ever thought about it? Oh, I saw you wince. That's cannibalism. It's a child. It's innocence. But you are a vampire now. You've had blood. Watch. I can cook it just so. Try it out. And, and that's, that's how they do this. It's they get you to love you for you. And once you do, they then tell you, you're pathetic. You're weak. Look at who you are. Look at how it is. By the way, so am I. I've never hid the fact from you that I am what I am. Have I? Right. No. And then you're in. And then before you know it, you can't get out. You can't see up from down. And then they start asking things of you. Because corruption is an exception of the individual for who they are. And how you manipulate them is you don't manipulate them. You have them embrace who they are. You understand what it is. And you let them act according to their nature. But you direct what you need through them. That's a proper Typhonite. Mm -hmm. And if this person is like robbing old ladies to bring you the money they need, that's great. You didn't tell them to rob old ladies. You said you need money. They had to get it. It's in their nature to do whatever within their means, right? And they went and started hitting door to door, beating up old folk. Right. And that's, that's their the path problem. of least resistance. And, but that, what that does is a Typhonite is stripping the last vestiges of their humanity to get them to accept there's nothing wrong with what they did. The ends justify the means in the world of set. And you were doing quite well. Right. And it's a religion. It's, it's really a religion. Um, or I should say it has a strong religious overtone. Yeah. Um, because the later on, definitely they'll define this again. It goes through a redefinition where if you're praying to a nihilistic God, it, the world is decay. The world is emptiness. We are all fighting against time and the inevitable end of our existence, according to a Typhonite. At least the mortals are. So... Why are you pretending to be immortal and worrying about all these things when you should be focusing on how to end them, how better to enable them to end themselves? And we're not saying kill them all unless you want to. What we're saying is enable them to kill themselves by accepting who they are, and there's the balance. Stop trying to fight the end. It is coming for you. And that's sort of what it is. So the next one is the Path of Paradox which is a uh, Ravno-specific path. Path of Paradox, um, I do. And what I got to tell you is, is that I, I honestly will just, my, my opinion of it is, because I'm not passionate about it, is I think it's a joke. Path of Paradox is telling them to do what a lot of, honestly, if you're a fan of Werewolf, you're going to get, you're going to feel the strongly pulls of what the worlds are supposed to do. And I've lured you in now, because last night we had a brief conversation about the Path of Paradox and how it reminded you of a specific group of mages. Oh, the uh, Marauders. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So please make that point. So in Mages, you had these the concept of these villains called Marauders. And what they are, if you don't know what Mage is, White Wolf has a supplement where you can play this group of Magi or Mages, if you will, where they discover the will to change reality, i.e. magic of a type to make whatever they want occur. And Power Ratings and Systems, a whole new book, it's good for that. We're not talking about that. But to make this point, you're this will-working mage, right? Now, they have a law where whatever they do that affects reality will come back, basically the rule of three, but they don't call it that. 
if you're familiar with Wicca, whatever good or bad you do comes back to you times three. This is the same thing. And, um, well, essentially the same thing. What a marauder is, is a mage who is not held by that. The laws, for whatever reason, no longer affect them on that end. And it's usually because they're insane. A marauder is a mage who can no longer tell reality from fiction. You know, what was fake that was now brought into reality? They don't know. And they just run around and do whatever they want, ending things and creating things. They have no idea. They're just a force of wild, chaotic energy. Well, that's what the Path of Paradox is. It says that the Ravno vampires that we learned were um, basically a lot, a lot of people call you the vampire gypsies for short. They're illusionists, right? They have chimeristry, as it's called, and it's the power to, at least in the early stages, to create um, fake sounds, noises, visuals, uh, whatever effects they want to create a paradise. If you've seen the movie Vampire in Brooklyn starring Eddie Murphy, a lot of what he uses in that movie is chimeristry in terms of how he builds his haven in the middle of Brooklyn and no one knows it's it's not a palisade in the rundown apartment. Let's just put it that way. If you check out the movie, it'll easily show you that. But that's what we're getting at. And what Aravno believes, reality is what one makes it. So whatever the world's like, it says, if it feels good, do it. Just just make it. And, and that's that. And it tells them to do it. <laughs> just go out there and, hey, you know, reality is what you decide it is. Um, and then they have a term called WIG. Uh, it says, free the WIG into the vortex. What does that mean? You're only ever going to find it in this book, referencing the path of paradox here. It's irrelevant. It's, it's nonsense. It's, to them, the WIG is this energy that makes reality. So if you find an older vampire who's been hanging on to their immortality for a long time, they have a lot of WIG, and you should kill them to free that energy. That's what you should do. Right. No real guideline for that. Just ridiculousness, right? The vortex would be whatever the, the ether is. Might as well just call it that. You know? But the point is, is the path of paradox doesn't have any... This doesn't scream vampire. I feel we get away from what a vampire is at this point. Yeah, and I've honestly felt that way about the uh, the Ravno as a whole most of the time, and that that really comes down to why I've I've never really been interested in playing them. I just don't identify with anything that they have going on, and I think it also has to do with uh, why they made the changes they made later on to this clan. They did. Later on, they, they develop a better, especially in the 20th anniversary revised, mm -hmm. they have a better system for what goes on, and some of that you can digest and groove with. Right. This is like, uh, we're, we're, we're crazy assassins. We're wild energy assassins and reality breakers, and that's it. By the way, we have fangs, like moving right. on. And uh, then they talk about uh, mortal characters, and uh, we've talked about hunters. We've talked about, um, we haven't gotten deeply into ghouls, but it doesn't really talk about that much here. But it even references the hunters hunted, which we've already talked about. The one good thing is that they talk about Numina. They start to develop that. So they start to change it from like vampiric disciplines to more like specific magical powers that humans can use. Um, my opinion now as an adult playing this game on humans with Numina, if you want to play like the newer hunter games, dig in. But for me, play a mage or play a vampire. Um, the whole magic thing, not so much with the humans. It's never really appealed to me. And especially now it appeals to me even less. I think it's a story to, you know, for me, I agree. Mortals should have a place in a vampire game, especially if a player wants to play them, no problem. But they need to understand that, okay, cool, you have some tricks you can do. You're psychic or what have you. Um, that's about it. That's the glass ceiling. Like, you're right. taking the end game for you. Like, the only other place you can go is getting embraced, and that defeats the whole purpose of you playing that mortal. 
So can it be done? Certainly. If I want to play a mortal to someone's vampire who is being considered for the embrace, like it's a Tremere player and I'm a mortal in a retinue who can, who has psychometry and I could read objects and places and get uh, the psychic, what have you energy flashbacks of what occurred there. Okay, cool. I have a use. I have a purpose. I'm involved with that player. I can now go around with that player in their coterie. That's a great concept. If I'm looking to play a player who's going to be, you know, I don't know, Jean Grey from the X-Men, <laughs> taking on the vampire world with no consequences, maybe the storyteller needs to pull that yeah. person aside. Uh, but at the end of the day, if that's the game that you're going to run, and, and I, I use this as a default, if that's the game that you're going to run, there's no right or wrong answers. They establish that. If you want to stay within the concepts of the genre... Yeah, probably not so many Jean Greys. Probably not so many. Um, but I honestly feel you wouldn't have listened this long if you did want to run a game of Jean Greys, to be honest. <laughs> right. There's games for that. Right. There, there are specific games for that. Go out and play them. They're fun. Uh, but they, they don't. They're not this game. Uh, the next thing that uh, they go over after uh, we talk about mortals are some sample derangements. Um there are a few in here that uh like one right off the bat is fits i i I think that there's actual derangements that would take the place of this it doesn't really fit no pun intended um but it gives you it gives you some idea of derangements how to run them but there are very few in here they reference that in the future because apparently uh it hasn't been released yet because we haven't reviewed it you should consult with the malkavian clan book for more but they more or less dropped at the same time, but we're doing these one a week. That's yep. how it goes. So um, secondary abilities, by the way, these should be brought back. I think if you're a storyteller in any game and you're running this, this is yet another way a player can own their creation process. What a secondary ability is, is it's a hyper-specialized talent, ability, or knowledge that they can take that defines exactly what they can do that they've invested points in. Uh, case in point, just to pull it out of a hat, um, it has, oh, so excuse me, I should define this. It's a one through five system, novice through master. And I should probably tell you, they give, if you've looked at the tabletop book and you check it out, you got to know something right now. Level three of any of these means that they can be a professor teaching it. Right. Any one of these. They can teach the knowledge they have in, in, in any one of these skill sets, right? To get a four, you're an expert. That means you're you're like consulted, right? People find you to talk about what have you in the field you have or whatever skill you're using and a master there's a handful in the world who can do what you, you do <laughs> and people are blessed to be in your presence relating to this field and experts seek you out to to grow and know things and that's and that's that when you have a player who takes fives shoots for fours and fives off the bat you're kind of ruining the spirit of the game and right. plus it's not a very defined character right you have a you have a certain amount of points when you start building a character for, I don't know if you felt this way, Nate, when people start going for fours and fives, you're like, eh, okay, let me hear your concept. Maybe a four. No, absolutely. And uh, we need to talk about a five. It really is defined by that concept there. I, I find that like anything else in this game, there can be exceptions made for great degrees of creativity. If you are, you know, playing a character that, 
we've, we've come to the understanding that you are so as an individual failing in all of these other areas, because you have only focused on playing the piano since you were the age of four years old, you know, you're, you're on the spectrum, right? you know, like I'll give you a five and an ability, but with that understanding that like, yeah, you're not going to be Johnny come lately going out and, and hanging out on the town. Your, your entire life is spent in front of that piano. Your entire life is spent writing in that journal, what, whatever it is. But creativity is always the trump. If you have a really good backstory and you maintain that while you're role playing, I'll make exceptions. But generally speaking, um, I don't want to insult anybody with this, but uh, this is something that I've seen quite a lot. My character is a kung fu martial arts master, and he's spent his entire life breaking bricks with his head. And, you know, he's he knows every <laughs> jump kick. And all right, great. Um, but we're probably going to avoid the five. Right. And it, here's and here's why. At the end of the day, what does having a four or a five do for you? Well, it's, if you took a specialty and you should have, you know, a good player and not a good player, a good strategy for building a character. If you're looking to truly mid max and that's really what you're going for with the Kung Fu expert, mm-hmm. you took a broad of three with a specialty in Kung Fu. Why? Depending on the die roll system you're using, that gets you an extra die or you get to roll tens again, depending on how you, whatever rule you choose to do, it gets you something extra for that without you having to be in the field of really I'm a four or a five right. and a story toys and look at that and go, okay, you know, you got that and move on, but you're still role playing your concept that you're a badass in Kung Fu and you are on, on the other side of that coin. Ask yourself, what does that four or five give you at that point? Well, just an extra die, maybe two to a right. pool. Well, if the pool's ranging, if I'm a mid maxer, and I chose, you know, my physical is right anyway, as they say. I'm going to have a four in dexterity. And that means my brawl pool is going to be now, what, a three, four if it's kung fu. So it's going to be seven or eight. On a system designed for ten dice rolled for a result one way or the other, that's already a tremendous pool. Right? So what is that extra two going to really do for you? Oh, it's extra odds. It's extra blah, 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 right, right. But if I have all those points invested in brawl, what did I really take for any of the other useful abilities in that tree set? Right? Right. And that's what it comes down to. There are other abilities in Brawl, and you can spread those around. You're supposed to. Right. Uh, human beings are jack of all trades, right? You know a little bit about everything usually. That's usually how someone is. And this system is designed to speak to that, hence right. why it goes one through five. And, and we, we look at, like, we'll use public speaking as, as, a, as an example. A novice, you're an entertaining speaker. We are novices, perhaps practiced, <laughs> perhaps practiced, right? And we take master. Winston Churchill, Adolf Hitler. It doesn't need to be expressed any more than that. Those are people that no one is coming close to that bar. No one is jumping that bar. You are not the Winston Churchill of kicking butt. I'm sorry. You're just, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you're not, we are not masters. We're not even experts. We probably aren't even competent. So we keep saying you're not. Let me, let me define this. Yeah, the general If if it's your concept, do it. That's what this comes down to. If it's your concept to have that five, go for it. I'm a fan of anything that goes to a concept. Right. But if you're taking it just to take it, to hedge a bet, to have more dice, please, please, please urge yourself to grow out of your comfort zone and and, and go in other areas because you're only going to do yourself an injustice by staying where you're at. Right. A lot of storytellers just say do it. They don't care. You know, you're not whatever. Cool. Play the game. But you should gain benefit from it. Now, Back to secondary abilities, one through five system, it's definitely there. And Nate already went over it. Novice is one, master is five, and you already heard our opinion. But this says stuff like 
for instance, uh, what is it? Uh, seduction. Seduction is something that says, you know how to lure, attract, and command the attention of others in a sexual manner. So it's very specific. By the way you hold yourself, how you look at someone, even by the tone of your voice, you are able to arouse and excite those upon whom you practice your wiles. Once you have fully seduced someone, he will be willing to do nearly anything for you. I always like that they used he there, uh, but it's usually true. Uh, but anyway, one is a teenager, five is a vampire, and I like that very specifically. Because uh, it goes in there by who, and all these secondary abilities have, who would have this ability of seduction? Thespians. Escorts. Good for nothing men. Good for nothing men are literally there. Strippers, right? And obviously vampires, we have that too. And so it says, you don't have to have this specialty, right? Is, is there, what is seduction? What would it fall under, right? You can easily say that your subterfuge and your manipulation Right. Will will bypass for seduction in a way, or your charisma plus mini or plus um subterfuge, or if you're not using verbal anything, right? You know, you're just trying to seduce some. You can take the style secondary ability can work, or what have you. You can combine a lot to get done what you want, but this seduction says you are a go to source for it, right? Just having it says you've, you seduce. You've, you've spent time in your life specifically using this to get what you want to get into someone's pants or get into someone's purse right this is this is a specific lifestyle choice even better a hallmark of mine i love taking these if i'm playing like a usually it's probably an assassin of a type or even a good nosferatu or just an investigative uh, sheriff i take scan because i always liked what scan says right mm -hmm. even a novice level if anyone notices police sirens it's you so it says you're a hyper alert person you're not missing a step right at three, when you're competent in it, it says uh, the slightest motion draws your attention. Five and master, you can count the grains of salt on a pretzel by taste. This this is awesome. <laughs> right. That's awesome. That's that's impactful. That's passionate. It's to the point. It talks about you going in a room. Like how awesome would it be that if you were a fan of Sherlock Holmes, if you were a fan of old school vampire uh, abilities, and I'm talking about actual folklore abilities, like if you drop. A bunch right. of uh, marbles in front of a vampire. They have to count them all before they pursue to you, which I believe is Yugoslavian, if I'm correct, in terms of folklore. That's that's awesome. They have it here as an ability you can use called scan. If I can enter into a concert and immediately tell you who the drug dealers are from not based on how I looked, mm -hmm. I just glanced across the floor. I'm like, a, a really uh, a mistake. A, a really great like movie that that uses scan uh, without naming it as such is uh the born identity when he's in the restaurant with the girl yes uh with i don't remember her name so i apologize but when he's in the restaurant and he's kind of on edge and a conversation starts up and he's like i don't know why i know i can run flat out this far and that door would take this much pressure to kick in and you know that person's you know just broke up with their girlfriend like th this person is highly trained walks into a room and knows every little detail so, at the inception, oh, Bob, what are we really talking about? Well, for those of you who are familiar to an updated system, eh, we basically call that investigation. <laughs> right. Scans investigation. Right. It's a lot of other things, but it's that. Right. Take the specialty, skip. No, don't. I'm telling you, bring back secondary abilities for you in your game. It will only enhance that player. It'll make them happy uh, because these are cheaper to get at character creation. It's freebie points, right? Right. One freebie point gets you two towards your chosen secondary ability. After character creation, it's times two to boost them. And it's, it's pretty cool to do. 
Yes, it hyper-specializes you in, in the neck of the woods, but it makes you a snowflake. Remember, this player's guide is all about making a unique vampire that the player can own conceptual-wise. And this is how you do it. Get into it. Enjoy your system. Right. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, it's a massive section. I should point yeah. that out too. Or, or scroll it down to PDF where I was like, okay, yeah, we got, there's everything in here for you. We got freaking heraldry, all right? That's there. Right. Lip reading, pilot. Oh, the first lore definitions are in here too. Yeah. They list them as secondary abilities. It's not just a cult, right? But you, you could do that. You can simply call it a cult and take a specialty in it. Or you can take this ability and it tells you, for instance, what's kindred lore? Well, one being a novice is you're but a whelp. That's what a new vampire would know. Five being a master is you're a possessor of some of the great secrets of kindred society, basically. All right. Finally on down, we've hit the end. Good, good, good. All right. So next is disciplines. And I don't think we need to go real deep into this. It's just. Uh, well, this is the book that has the unique. The six through tens. Has the the high end disciplines. I gotta say, some some people have a spouse already that they you know they really like knowing that this you know what a book has. This is where you're gonna get your your higher level disciplines from their first inception, um, and that's and yeah, there's second. I do remember we went over it before in a different version, but um, this this updates some further adds some new stuff. Really, it just gives you an idea of just the power level, and that's all disciplines are really anyway at the higher level. You know, they give you the basic the training wheels. And then when you get in those other levels, you get a, you have a guideline of how powerful it could be. Then you choose to make up whatever power that yeah, is. I, I would say like when you're looking at level tens, they're pretty much world impacting. Like they're. There's, and I think they realize that like why we won't get into that. I'll just say that you will not ever see. I think the highest they go is an eight. I think they push a nine in, in one in later editions, but that you'll never see a 10 they're no. gone you shouldn't be dealing with antediluvians no definitely not no you shouldn't you shouldn't be like body of the sun antediluvians are the third generation vampires they're literally pre-flood right. hence the term antediluvian uh they do have um some new new paths of thaumaturgy um spirit thaumaturgy i believe is introduced for the first time here neptune's might i think is introduced for the first time here uh path of corruption which i, I don't believe was uh was anywhere uh before this and then of course some some rituals some newer rituals or um some expanded rituals i do want to say though um, when it comes to the elder lever power elder lever uh, elder level powers i did say it thank you bob <laughs> all right so those powers are great for storyteller um mentorships if you have a player who happens to be of the gen that they can actually hold a mentored uh, elder level power, like seven gen, they can have a level six. Okay, good book for it. Right. I mean, you, you even use it to have it. Um, some of them are different, though. They're vastly different from the revisions that they had and how they even work. So I'd be I'd pay particular attention to the modern, to the one we have right now. But I will tell you that they definitely keep to the hallmarks of power. They They go beyond it. And when you read them, keep that open mind you know like easy one is dominate when i talk about mass dominate normally dominates eye to eye one person only that you affect their will mass dominate is you hit a group of people with the same power influx so definitely they get cooler but they're, they're done that way to show you what the elder level powers are because the old blood can hold the power for what they're doing a lot of right. times it's overlooked 
I don't know personally if a uh, player's guide needs these, but it is what it is. Uh, I don't know if the newer versions of the player's guide have all of these astronomically high level, like invulnerable weakness level 10 rituals, but yeah, it does give you an idea of the kind of power level you'd be dealing with. You do damn well know they don't, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to go throw it out there like that. Yeah, we're just going to put it right out there. <laughs> nah, they come out with a storyteller guide later on. And uh, it's a little hazy because there's so much because they're scattered in my brain. Yeah, they're there. They exist. They're out there, but they're not. Uh, they're not like, hey, you're a player. You should shoot for tens. It's not. It's not there. It's <laughs> yeah, not no, there. No. <laughs> uh, after this, uh, we have the Vampiric Society, Vampire Society, Chapter Three, Chapter Three, Vampire Society, and uh, they talk about status, which we were discussing earlier. Um, so status among vampires. It's not a series of dots. They give you dots as a mechanic. Right. Again, they go one through five. Okay. Five being the max a city can hold. Right. Because it's amongst those vampires. If you're going to have beyond five, it's because you are a traveling dignitary within the organization of the Camarilla or Camarilla. I don't know. Giovanni. I don't know. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right either. Right. It's been Camarilla forever. So it's going to stay that way until we're (laughs) we're told otherwise. So that's how it is. So driving it around. That's a big as shit by doing that, but I'm really just trying to. <laughs> That's good though because it it gives us the opportunity to confer with people that are outside of our region, because right. like these are these are terms that they're regional, as far as we know. These right. are all the people in our area call it this. What do the people in your area call it? <laughs> you know, if we're if we sound different to you, or perhaps just it's a matter of English language. I'll tell you why I didn't give it up is because you know I spent time. I, I spent ten years in Arkansas for a bit. You know, Bible Belt and all, and you know, nice little accents and having fun, doing things, having a good time, and uh, no big deal. Good folk, they're intelligent, no big deal, but they they speak different. You know, there's dialects and what have you. It's yeah, all it's good, a regional dialect, and that's that's exactly right. And then I came up here and I'm playing this game. I'll never forget it. I'm in a goth club and we're playing a LARP version of this game. And all my horror stories come from LARP, by the way. That's because it's just, there's so many people. <laughs> I'm like, and for you guys to know, I'm built like a lineman because that's what I did. That's what I was. That's what I am. And I'm in here, this giant of a man, just, just relaxing, playing vampire. And I'm um, hanging out with the venture because that's what I was playing at the time. And the Torador Harpy looks over me and she goes, no offense. You keep calling it the Camarilla organization. We're not vanilla. We're the Camarilla. It's old school. It's old world. Get with it. I looked her in her eye and I told her, you can also shut what is known as the fuck up. Because <laughs> I call it Camarilla because I am in charge of what I say and how I say it. I definitely feel that in that character sense. When it comes to, well, actually, there's a language that made this term. Here right, it is. Right. This is the proper pronunciation, but use it how you want to. I prefer to be polite. You know, right. if someone tells, But she couldn't back it up. None of them could back it up. They were just being in my cheeky and smarmy. And I was like, let me shit in your fucking drink real quick. <laughs> you know, ruin your nylon. Hold honey. those stories. Hold those Sorry. stories for the next. Sorry, podcast. I apologize. It's- Sorry, folks. We're, we're getting a little distracted. But we're here to review a, a damn book and we're going to review this book. So status. Yes, we're going to talk about status. We're going to talk about the harpies. And uh, we talk about here how status is conferred and stripped by an informal committee of those vampires who hunt the exclusive halls of Elysium. This is what we were talking about before. Yes. Your status, your standing is all based off of the backbiting, bickering, rumor mongering harpies. Why are they called that? The harpies are called the harpies. Because they're the ones who frequent Elysiums. They haunt them. 
Although, and one of the least seems arch to refresher. They're the areas deemed by the elders in the city and blessed by the prince to where it's neutral. We go to these areas because of historical artistic um, sanctity. There are items there that we can all enjoy and just be ourselves. Right. Amongst ourselves. Their hangouts, their elder hangouts, their haunts. And the harpies are always there getting the good gossip, getting the good talk. And that harpy is never not there. Like they always seem to know who's gathering where. Um, what's going on between X, X and Y, who did what and why they're the, in the no crowd. A harpy is that click. That is the alpha click at school. If you need right. to see it further or at your workplace. I mean, let's just not, you know, it's just human nature. When you get together, you're going to have harpies. You know what they are. Right. Uh, it, it says in here, uh, uh, few would admit to being in such a group, but all but the anarchs are. And then it, it even goes a little bit further. Indeed, anarchs have very little to do with who is currently in the limelight and who is out. This references why you would deny a position, uh, though they often pay close attention to these changes. Even they may freely humiliate and denigrate those who have lost favor. Such opportunities for revenge are not often wasted. Because here's how this goes. Status is sunrise, sunset. Yep. Tonight, I'm the up-and-coming Bruhai and Scylla who successfully snubbed the sheriff and his offer as deputy. However, I snubbed them, right? Suddenly, the harpies... Like, if, if I was in the graces of the harpies, I would go to a club. And in that club, I'm on the list. Right. I get to go right on in. And the harpies wave me over. They're the regulars. are always right. here. Like, hey, Bob, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. I don't know they're the harpies. I just know they're the people who are real polite to me and everyone likes them right? and they're all there or they're in fear of them for whatever weird reason. And I'm over there talking and cool. I'm in the end. And then I get free drinks. We talk and laugh and we make fun of people all night and they point out who's who and what's going on. Suddenly, because of my faux pas, they say it's a faux pas. I, I turned down uh, the title to be a deputy, right? It's not really a title. It's like I'm a servant to the sheriff, but yeah, it is. It has responsibility. Right. I have to wait in line. First sign that I'm on the outs, right? Right. When I eventually get in, I've missed the free drinks, you know, and the harpies look at me. Oh, no, we have no more. Maybe tomorrow. Right. Maybe tomorrow. But I don't have time right now. I was talking to this guy over here about his new suit. It, tell me again where you got that suit. And then, you know, the attention off them to this guy. And I could listen to this guy because that's the harpy giving you the head nod that this guy's in favor. I'm not. Right. And you get the cold shoulder. Suddenly your info's not coming to you. You get the picture. Exactly. And they even make the correlation that we've made. They say that the, the these vultures are the ultimate clique and can be just as trite, blind, ignorant, and treacherous as any high school peer group. Their judgments are total and final. It, it, it literally comes down to this is, like you said, Hey, uh, you, you're hanging out with the, one of the, one of the harpies, one of the group, the, one of the individuals that, that, that runs in that group. And he's like, Hey, you know, next week I've got, uh, a, a, a concert that I'm throwing over on the East end. Would you like to come? And you're like, Oh geez, what day is that? Well, that's on a Thursday. Oh, well I have this meeting I have to go to on a Thursday. Right. You're just making a comment. It's just a, it's an invitation. It's just an off the cuff. Well, you've humiliated me. You lack decorum. No one should interact with you because you can't even accept a cordial invitation to a party you know I'm throwing. You horrible American pig dog. I made the time to invite you and you're too good to go? Well, you're on the outs. You're That's you're not it. accepted anymore. You need to even do anything. You're just like, hey, I just don't want to go. I don't like classic music. I don't I don't like opera. See me be thinking to yourself. Big fucking deal. So I'm on the outs with you. I, fine. I can't get in your little club and I can't even, there's other shit for me to do. 
Well, the harpies notice that you're not affected by it. You don't seem that it's bad. And suddenly they take all that talking power and start getting real buddy-buddy with the sheriff. Talking to him and giving him some hot tips and pointers and what have you. And the sheriff literally just goes, let's cut the shit. Who are you pissed at? Well, you wouldn't believe what Bob did. <laughs> really? <laughs> that you're pissed because what did Bob do? Uh, he, he turned down, down your deputy ship. He didn't tell me to fuck. You're talking about that Bob, the one who turned me the fuck down? Right. Now he's on the outs with you? He's like, yeah. You smooth it over to make sure the Seneschal stays out of this? Me and Bob are going to have a reckoning. Right. And the Harpy's like, oh, really? Well, you'll have your day in court, Sheriff. Oh. And then, I don't know, that the Sheriff's making a phone call to the deputies to fuck up my herd. Right. To come harass me in my home. And, and meanwhile, Blue Blazer Bob, who doesn't like classical music... <laughs> who had other plans on Thursday night gets jumped by the local anarchs and he goes looking for help. And they're like, Hey, you don't respect status. You don't respect standing. You don't respect the sheriff. You're not even welcome on Elysium. They fucking what wave the, the fuck. Do we care? They, they even point out that the cell phone that they were given was given by the deputy. And how do you know the deputy's stupid stickers on the back of it. And by the way, he's in the limo down the street <laughs> watching it all. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, when you're on the odd, you are stepped the fuck right. on. So it's not a good thing to be on the odds with the harpies. Yeah. Unless, and, unless. Unless you're have, the prince or the primogen. Here's, here's what happens. If I'm on the outs with the harpies and I can't correct it, I can appeal to the prince. If I can get that audience somehow, if I have a favor or someone's going to speak on my behalf, yes, I can get this harassment to stop. Right. But then I owe the prince. But also, because it's it's at the whim of sort of the social climate. There's always an opportunity for you to redeem yourself. There's always someone they like less than you. There's always some way you can give a gift to the right person or owe a favor to the right person. And wow, suddenly blue blazer, Bob is now back in style, back in fashion. Not to where he was, but we'll let him come to the show to prove that he's not allowed. There you go. But, and then the precedent's already been established, right? Everybody right. has seen Blue Blazer Bob getting harassed, got his ass kicked a little bit. You know, he's out some stuff and he, he fuck, went, went, went shot up. Right. He got evicted somehow. Had to figure that one out, sleeping in his trunk. Uh, well, suddenly he gets a new house. They let him have that. And he finds, you know, place. Everything's mm -hmm. restored. But now everyone's living in fear that if they're chosen for deputy, they can't say shit to that sheriff. Right. That's what really what got established. The harpies used the sheriff's power and position to get at someone that is on the outs with them and it benefited them and the sheriff to do it. And now everyone's going to know about it. And you may think to the prince, Oh my God, is this just, don't you guys have shit better to do? The answer is no. The answer is no. That's why they're the harpies. This mm -hmm. is the social structure. The lifeblood of the Camarilla society is the ability to owe one another in a boon system. Right now let's get into that. We keep saying, Oh, what does that mean? Well, if the prince, helps me out that's a boon i owe him simply yes. it's it's a ranking system um right now we don't get into anything more than one through three for terms of boons uh one being that i would if it would seriously put me out or annoy me yeah i'd do it i have to but once i do that that boon's gone i've answered that favor three being i'd risk serious life i'd risk serious life i'd risk my life to get out of debt of it i owe the prince something so huge that my life is literally in their hands They've spared me because I've agreed to do this task until that task is done or until that boon is fulfilled. I'm stuck doing anything just short of that boon. And that's an important note. Whatever boon I owe that person I owe it to can get me to do 
anything just shy of fulfilling that boon, I have to do it by prestation. I am in their pocket until that right. limit is reached. And that's how it goes. And how does that work? How does that go? Well, that varies city to city, i.e. varies troop to troop, game to game, even the personal opinion of the storyteller. It's however you decide in your head that's established. But the players should never know. It's this pool of 50 favors equals right. a, a major boon. You know right. I mean? And, and they, they, give you, they give you some information, too, like what we were talking about already, um, about the the breaking of the rules the punishment and they they even mention in here about like turning down or or uh you know flying in the face of prestation uh they talk about understanding the risks they say there are certainly some benefits to ignoring status and ignoring status would be as simple as turning down a position uh but not the least of which are are gaining the respect and admiration of the anarchs go you Right. Uh, even some elders might admire uh, reprobate's courage, though most would be annoyed with her brazenness. Play it the way you want it. Just keep in mind that every cause has its effect. And by the way, you're not guaranteed audience with the prince. No. In fact, you should never have audience with the prince without having the clout, the standing to see the prince. Right. And however, how do I do it then, Bob? Because you said earlier I could, because the assumptions being made that you have a sire or someone owes you that does have the standing or a primogen with a sympathetic ear right. who's willing to step to this problem and that is something that also is, is handled out is that this is a hierarchy there is a pecking order and you have to learn your place in it to move up right knowing your place is the first step to exceeding and uh, excelling in the society of the kindred the other half role-playing status right this is important how do we role-play it typically if i have high status status i don't even have to be a title holder let's say i have a status of two Anybody who's just recently been acknowledged at a one, I'm hanging out. The harpies give me the head nod. We're chilling, having a good time at the club. I can hear them. They can hear me. We're enjoying music. There should be a click of a coterie of younglings, and we'll call them that, that are there, whatever you want to call them, that are coming in who are trying to get my attention. You know, they're trying to get me to hear them out in their woes and their plights in this city. And I could choose to hear them or not. But the point is, they're going to be incredibly polite to me maybe even offer me gifts or favors or little things they could do for me, mm -hmm. whatever it takes just to be seen at my side so they can feel important. So they can be in. And that's how it works on a, all the way up to five. You know, the Seneschal is not going to hobnob at the harpy. It's just not going to happen. But the Seneschal may bend an ear at his table to listen to a harpy who has something to say to him or her before saying, Oh, very well, have a seat for the night. But everyone's going to see the Seneschal. The harpy had to approach the Seneschal. Never. If you have higher standing, do you approach someone of lower standing? Right. They come to you. They always come to you. And they, they talk about in uh, some later books, the scurrying of servants and yes. the primogen council servant running over to the harpy and the harpy's servant engaging the retainer and it, it, just a back and forth because all of this is about how you look to those in power, those in uh, those that are valued. It's all about appearances. All of this is. Uh, and, and it's all gauged on just a subtle misstep, a, a, a small slight. And these things, because this is, remember, this is the entertainment of creatures that have been alive for hundreds of years. And as it says, even in the hallmarks of, of, of all the great jihads, all the way up to the antediluvians, probably all the big fear of them coming up to do something has to relate to an old grudge. Right. Something that just wasn't resolved. And that's 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 the whole life, right? And and, and these grudges 
crustacean is is essentially designed to prevent these grudges from happening. I am old. I am valuable. You respect that. When you don't respect that, now we're at war. Now we have a problem. And what's that war mean? Does it mean that I'm pulling out grenades and whooping them at you in public? No. no. It means I'm doing everything I can to make your life a living hell. That, yeah, exactly. That. I, I evicted you from your house. You can't get in the club. Your money's no good here. Your credit cards have been canceled. Right. I'm showcasing. There's all sorts of ways I can cause hell for you. Right. Or, or I, I buy a bouquet of roses for every other member of the Primogen Council, but not you. Right. Embarrassment. I'm, right. Oh, geez, I forgot to, to get them for you. But now you know I, I fucked you over. I slighted you. And if you're listening, what are you doing in your head? What sort of assholes do this? Thousand-year-old assholes. Right. Five hundred-year-old assholes. This isn't normal. This isn't <laughs> happening to me in real life. You always include people that are your friends. Why would you exclude them? Exactly our point. Right. These aren't human beings. These aren't people who are you or me that are in there. We have a heart. We have a conscience. We have emotional feelings. You know, if I have money to feed me and no, and I don't know you and I know you haven't ate, I'm not going to eat in front of you. That's just rude. Right. You know, I'm going to go have my meal elsewhere and leave you your piece to whatever has dealt you. I live next door to you and I'm going to the same place. I'm going to give you a ride. However, if I'm a vampire elder of Clan Venture and you're the brewer who's angered me, you failed me somehow and I have higher standing, I'm going to have my servants bring you in, sit you down after, oh, about a week. I know you're having trouble feeding because you don't have control of feeding grounds because I recently acquired them because of your misstep. I'm going to sit you down and I'm going to slowly drink out of a full cup of blood. I'm going to take sips in front of you, knowing you're staring at my cup hungrily. I may dab my chin a little bit. I may taste it. Never drink. I never gulp. I never empty the cup. I sit the cup down right between you and me as I talk because I just... I don't feel like imbibing it. It's, it's too cold, perhaps. And I set it down. Can someone warm this, please? And someone picks it up to refresh my cup. I never ask you if you want any blood, ever. I don't even offer it to you. I never even act like it's something you could ever have had. And I do it knowing that those used to be your feeding grounds, that you used to have that power, but you no longer do. But I do it to set a point home. Power. It's mine. You don't have it. And now everyone knows that you've accepted it because it's in front of everyone. But you're obeying prestation too, which means one day you can still rise up. You can still get back at me, but I am literally sharpening your blade for you to hit me in the back later on. And that's the nature of prestation. Yep. Uh, the next thing that they talk about is clan uh, prestige. And I feel like we, sh we probably don't need to go over this too much, more so because we're going to go over this stuff in the clan books. We, well, clan books don't get a lot of history and whatnot too, just because well, we're here. We're here and it's fresh in your head. Clan prestige is all about the inner internal workings of that clan and how it works out. And really, when we're talking prestige, it's on a hierarchy base like this. You have a primogen, right? That's the one who politically represents your clan in a city. Typically, yes. Typically. You're going to have an elder who's going to sit in that position usually. Then that person is going to have an assistant, usually titled whip, but we'll go from this book's perspective. It's a primogen. It's in your clan. He'll have people who help him out. You know, right. keep tabs on everybody, let them know when newcomers are here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And how that works is, is that each clan has their own system for how you can gain favor with that primogen. That really should be how that's worked. Generating clan prestige is getting in with the primogen. Right. Because the primogen's going to have prestige that's going to speak to the clan as well. And this is clan in the city. Worldwide, again, we're only bound to the city we've chosen to hang our fangs in. Or bear our fangs in, if you will. And that's, that's how it works. Uh, status and the class of generations it gets into that I think we really uh, do deserve a head nod 
uh, because that that's not talked about a lot. When it comes into a class of generations, how does um, an eighth generation perceive a ninth generation or an eleventh? That's a really good question. Um, and you got to look at it from this perspective: if the more potent the blood, the, usually the more historic, the more almost legendary the sire. Right. And that's how it goes, you know. Unless they're an out and out diabolus, and that makes them a they're alive. Right. And they made you. That makes them a legend in their own right. And the sabbat, they might be heralded a god. You never, you know, a war god. You never know. But the point is, I'm going to shit on those of weaker blood. Yeah. Because I'm powerful and I know I am. There's nobody contested. But I'm, and but what, what do I mean by shit on? Am I going to drag you through the mud? Am I going to make you a schmuck? Anything like that? No. No, I'm probably not even going to acknowledge you. Exactly. That's where it kicks in. You're not on my playing field. If you, Think back to when I mentioned dominate, and it's in this book, and the, mm-hmm. level, and the higher level powers let you do mass dominate. Right. So let's say we're in the same clan. We'll use Ventru. Nate's the elder. He has the mass dominate. Um, I only have level five, which is uh, possession. I'm known to have it and whatever, but that, I'm just giving an example of the potencies of blood and what we can do. The network that I can build, limited by generation of being that of eighth, where Nate's seventh, is that I can have you know several mortal organizations in the city, juggle many pies. Um, etc herd what have you but they could control them right. vast armies of them him taking over an organization with that power that potency of blood is far easier and deeper of a hold than what i can maintain because i more or less affect the individual or it takes me marshalling a lot of my resources to get done what he can do with a simple look right and we can we can use uh one of uh, their own characters for an example when you look at chicago by night which we've discussed, we'll discuss again because they're going to revise it coming up. But when we look at Chicago by night, Loden embraced a swath of individuals. They are his underlings. They were embraced for specific purposes and specific tasks. For sure. And that is their purpose. And when you are, are younger than me, I it, it, we'll talk specifically in generation. Uh, they tend to go hand in hand, but not always. But when we talk about a younger vampire, you were embraced for a purpose. And likewise, I'm sure Loden was embraced for a purpose too. Everyone was. Yep. But in the example, you got to look at it in the, in the sense that Loden's chilled are on an even playing field because he made them. Right. But their children better never step up to their uncles and, and, and aunts. They should never do that because that they're not on the same level. It's, it's phenomenal that I'm even saying it. Well, look at it this way. Status amongst the generations the class of generations is the brass tax it's simply as it is it's power of the blood plain and simple and it behooves me to be polite to those of elder generation because they do have definitive power versus me right mm-hmm. that's if i know about it it's if they're established yes there's the monkey wrench would be if i'm an eighth generation five thousand year old vampire clearly if you were just embraced yesterday but by a prestigious sire and that makes you seven gen you you're not going to be in the power level of me but still by terms of standing i had best represent you in a positive light because all the other elders who share your blood are going to put me on notice as if i play the game right right so and that's what it's all about but the other side of that coin status in terms of city there's many different ways I can have standing and it's all based on what I've done and accomplished mm-hmm. or what I can do on a political basis. It's more of less how socially I am right where this is like, this is what this dude can do. And that's, that's the difference. That's the line. Um, intra clan prestige is exactly 
what it sounds like. Um, it says the clan prestige of each member is known to another member of the clan. Low prestige vampires are expected to defer uh, to defer to higher prestige vampires, period. And here they're just telling you what we've already talked about. Right. It's knowing how this game is played and that's it. Um, can you create your own prestige in different ways? Sure. Yeah, every prince could be different. Um, you know, Elysium wasn't a concept until Loden made it up. That's right. Right. (laughs) There you go. And and again, like we've said uh, so many times, I said earlier this podcast, there's no right or wrong answer. How are you running your game? This is the guide. This is the way that that they've written it so that you understand it, but adapt it, make it your own. You know, what works for you and your players? What's fun for you guys? You know, as long as you're staying within the general concepts and confines of the genre, you're not doing anything wrong. And now that is quite quite a bit on that standing um later on to get into i mean there, there's a big massive section on how the clans break down yeah uh we're again we're gonna skip that as nate said because we're gonna get into the clans themselves later um later on and as we do these podcasts but mm-hmm. um they get to the right of prestation uh vampires gain status over others as a elaborate ritual of favors and boons called prestation uh, prestation is based on the simple promise that when a vampire receives an important gift or favor, he is beholden to its bestower and honor bound to redeem the favor. Now, we talked about how that's done. I did a favor for you. You owe me. If a tree falls in the woods and no one's around, does it make a sound? Yeah, right. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly what this is. The right of prestation is when I, the harpy, rehash the story to near do wells who hear it. Right. The prince hears how you assisted the Tordo Primogen uh, with that bothersome mortal stalker that, she, that he or she had. And um, in an interesting fashion, or however I said it, Masquerade approved, but I let it be known to the, to the prince and those who could hear it that this is what this person did. That is a rite of prestation. I have boosted them up by telling their story. That's my job as the harpy, uh, to be in the know and do it, or not to tell the tale at all. Right. And thus letting the Torter Primogen know I'm doing her a solid. This guy's done something wrong to somebody, and I've just decided not to mention it. And the Torter Primogen gets to go, I got a free favor. Right. Somebody brings up the tale uh, at Elysium, and the Harpy goes, I've heard no such thing. Actually, I heard a different tale. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Guy who actually helped out gets f- screwed. You know? Gets screwed. And they're going to go at that Torter Primogen. Hey, I helped you. What the hell's going on? Blah, 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 blah. They address that, too. They said there are three different ways in which a vampire can um, can react when a boon is offered. Okay, now this is important. Acceptance of the offer: the vampire accepts the boon and is bound by prestation to the giver. Refusal: the vampire immediately and forthrightly refuses the gift of the boon. This is often a case of uh, one-upmanship. The vampire has just publicly announced that um, <clears throat> excuse me that he does not need the other's boon. The other may lose status because of the humiliation. So this torter primogen may go. You walk up to them now because you're pushing the issue. The, the, right. the harpy does acknowledge it. You're going to go up to the Torter Primogen. You're going to be like, hey, you owe me a boon. You know I did that favor for you with that stalker in front of everyone. Torter Primogen can go, uh, you, you don't need to owe me a boon, man. I don't, you know, or excuse me, reverse that. I don't need to owe you. You don't need to owe me a boon, Mr. Torter Primogen. Fine. It's beneath me anyway. It was a simple thing. It took me no effort to do it. You know, mm-hmm. you get the idea. And by doing it, it's a public snubbing saying I don't need help from the Torter Primogen for what I just gave them that right if you can make the harpy laugh from that or entertain people on that the harpy's the lifeblood of the social scene if suddenly everybody thinks you're ballsy and got this 
you, you got the hook spot right. or whatever you want to call it. The, the sand. The, the harpies find your your grit to be quite entertaining. Oh. And suddenly the primogen looks like the asshole. Right. And and wow, lo and behold, you're now viewed in a higher light. Right. And it talks about negation too. Uh, the character refuses the gift of the boon, but in such a way as to avoid insult is exactly what we're talking about, um, which can be difficult, but there. And it gives you an example. It's, it says a quote, only that I may be of further service to you, my prince. By so doing, the vampire may gain status. In other words, and in that, and it's very subtle how they even put that. If you do, if if you do a favor for the prince and he should owe you, that is the term that should come out of your mouth. Right. Negate that fucking boon. You never want the prince owing you. It is okay to owe the prince. He knows he can call on you to do stuff. That may even net you a bunch of standing in favors. If the prince owes you, you he has right of destruction. <laughs> he has right of destruction. And you know he's a powerhouse. How safe are you suddenly? Right. Hey, prince, don't forget. You owe me. <laughs> oh, I didn't forget at all. Right. Neither did the Primogen Council. Neither did the elders. Neither did, neither did the harpies. Sheriff, did you get that in the back? Did I still owe him? Is that written down in right, the harpies, right. sir? We don't even acknowledge. Oh, no, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. I do owe him. He will get his due. Yeah, that's a dangerous thing to have. So, um, and then it goes into returning and get an oath keeping and all that. But basically, it all we pretty much summed up at exhaustion right what this does if you want the minutiae even further you just can't wrap your brain around it it does give you several different ways uh to use prestation how to enforce prestation how to get it to work we've talked about these giving you examples already they're going to give you more and more lecture on how to get it done right. if you need that lecture right then the next uh goes over the clans which i think we've we've talked about um yeah this has the Asimites, the followers of set the giovanni the ravno uh and then two new uh bloodlines we talk about the salubri too but those guys were there in first edition hey how are you they talk about the daughters of cacophony and the semeti now due to uh my my gender i've never played a daughter of cacophony so um they've never really been something that i've been too concerned with uh they sing i know that um <laughs> yeah so the dars of coffee are unique because it shows that okay we had all these vampires and established 13 established vampire clans then there are bloodlines and these right. are people who are almost the strength of these 13 clans uh to be distinct meaning they have progenitors but they're not part of the original 13. Right. Typically they're considered to be an offshoot of another clan. Oftentimes that's shrouded in mystery. You got, we it. think they came from here, but we're not really sure. And then you have definitive bloodlines, right? And what we mean by that is they're too young to have any standing of the others. Right. So in other words, there's a hierarchy, even by dint of the clans. And so when we get to someone like the daughters of cacophony, they're new because they're a combination. It's believed that they came about somewhere between the Malkavings and Torador, uh, the profound blood of the Torador's uh, appreciation of all things artistic, the more beautiful, the better, the more skilled, the better. And that fascination with it combined with the deranged mind of a Malkavian's ability um, to just fixate or be, a, be obsessed with something that created the daughters of cacophony mm -hmm. and a daughter of cacophony consistently hear a melodious tune. That's just at a full, they can't quite hear it yeah. right it's muffled or it's too distant to get it exact and they want 
to get it exact. They seek to hear this music and see it fulfilled and see it completed. And they want to give this gift to everyone. And that's what they do. Um, on its whole, that clan was made all around that very thought. Singers, artists in a specific field, that's them. I really feel they're kind of pigeon pigeonholed, excuse me, and being predominantly females. You can be a male singer. Nothing stops you from doing that. You know, you want Justin Bieber it up with fangs, you know, knock yourself out. Or even better, you want Justin Timberlake it. He can sing his ass off and dance. Definitely could be a dark cacophony, but we're not talking pop music, really. We're talking a classical singer, someone who does opera, right? Mm -hmm. You're on that stage. That's your life. That's where you're at. You want to be in that music. And there's still this haunting melody that you're, all your, all your shows are fresh. Everyone's heralding you as like the aficionado of this, that this is your muse is music. And you speak to the world of such beautiful things. And to you, it's all shit because it's never been the completion of the song you hear. And that frustration, that insanity, that obsession, that's a daughter of cacophony. And it's in the blood is the important thing too. And there's all sorts of fun little elements you can play with that. As a storyteller, if I, if I ever had a player, I never have the, have had the benefit of having a player yet who wanted to play something where they can feel music in the blood and the tone. You can create some very monstrous people from that clan. Some very beautiful uh, people who can role play this distant <laughs> resonant noise off. And I think it'd be very good. I do approve of them in really an NPC format because it would take a lot of energy and time and from, from a storyteller to truly get a player to feel at home in that setting because how much can that player really do when they can always fall back on one point? Man, I don't care what's going on. This tune, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish. Right, I'm just gonna go play some music. You know, and then and then you know you can kind of see where it can be one dimensional. Um, it's just not as easy to work with. It's a harder medium to to go through to get real creative story out of. But then you have the Semedi, Nate. Yes. More to the Semedi. So the Semedi are uh they are a bloodline that is believed either to be a an offshoot of the Nosferatu or of the Giovanni. Um they are absolutely horrifying they're often confused for zombies they're essentially vampires who are in a constant state of decay uh, look like a, a shambling horde uh but they uh as far as like the clan is concerned it's believed that they originate from the um the indies um the west indies um let me see what else. What else can we say about them? Um, they're often used as uh, bodyguards or assassins uh, because they are frightening and powerful at the same time. Um, they're 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 an interesting bloodline, um, a relatively young bloodline, uh, believed to have only been around since uh, what the seventeen hundreds or so, uh, last two hundred years. Uh, they seldomly uh, associate uh, with other vampires, and it's extremely rare to find more than two of them in the city, even one of substantial size. Uh, most Semedi will confess to having worked as coroners or morticians before being embraced. Many will also admit to being at the edge of suicide at the time of the embrace. Uh, they're they're a cool little uh, they're 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 kind of like a a specialty bloodline for weirdos like me. That's that's how I like to view them. The Semedi are what I like to call the... <laughs> almost for the jaded, I gotta say that. When you feel that the haunting curse of losing humanity isn't enough, when 
pure violence is enough when the obsession becomes death itself and you want to really portray that that's these cats and every every facet of it i mean like the caribbean was always my favorite to hear where they you know they originate as part yeah, of I it. I think that's what I meant. And, uh, well, no, it's it's Italy and the Caribbean. They're they're in both is where they're mentioned. Right, right. But that's nobody really knows where they came right, from. Right. Yeah. They later on flat out tell you, but right now we, they don't define that at all. And what's cool about it is that they they hold this element of Papa Legba or Baron Samedi, you know, mm-hmm. if you prefer, and they kind of go with that groove yeah. a lot of times. Yeah, we, we call them Samedi, but they're probably more aptly pronounced as Samedi. Right. And it's I reference right. everything else Re- regional dialects being what they are so but it's cool and we're going to stop doing like that too because i think it interrupts full but <laughs> so uh but the aspect is is that they deal with necromancy too they're not the only ones uh, the, the giovanni are not the only ones who have a handle on it, although they are the ones who've perfected right it. in in this in the second edition the necromancy is a clan uh, one of their in-clan disciplines. In the revised editions, that's actually changed, and it's no longer in-clan, but they can learn it without a teacher. Right, which might as well be in-clan. Right. It's, it's, still, it's out of clan cost, but they don't need a teacher to learn it. It's, it comes natural to them, but they give them fortitude, obfuscate, and thanatosis. So little subtle differences, not really super important, but little difference from what you'll, you'll find in a more recent book. And then uh, gives uh, all the new disciplines here, the Shemeristry, Malpomene, which is the Daughters of Cacophony discipline, the uh, uh, Thanatosis, and yeah, so more disciplines, 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 disciplines. Uh, then it jumps up to properties of the blood and call the section a taste of a tape. And what they do is that a lot of questions came up in Vampire regarding, you know, well, a vampire can only ever enjoy blood, so well, that sucks. What about what about other things? Well, the fact is, is with the imagination, one what they tried to hammer home and thought it was a gimme, they actually define. And this is terms of what happens to a vampire who feeds in a junkie. <laughs> Somebody on a cocaine binge who decides to party it up near a vampire's feeding. Vampire feeds in that person. They, they definitely will be distracted. <laughs> have a heart issue sitting still the effects of that cocaine are going to last for a few and we're not talking hours even it's like maybe minutes at a time because the blood was the important thing it was just laced with something um good or bad depending on how you feel about that but it is possible it says if a if a vampire feeds regularly uh, every other feeding from drugged mortals she may become addicted the player should make a self-control roll blah 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 uh looks pool all that stuff gets marked all cute little ways where you can put in there yes this person's now addicted or or has a taste for a certain thing at this point to make it sound like you know you got to be wary of who you feed on that there are there are ways to do it i feel that's cool i've never really focused on that as a storyteller because i feel that if you have to be a certain player role-playing a certain character for me to get into the nuance of your herd or how you're feeding or your feeding habits to addict you because honestly drug laced blood whatever and and move on it shouldn't be a plot device at all it's a nuance of the character get into it for the feeding itself for a great feeding scene but beyond that uh unless it's a quirk of the character that's where it should stay gets diseases too talks about the kindred are immune to virtually all forms of disease however being virtually immune is not the same as being totally immune there are many rumors about diseases that can affect the kindred this is true and as a storyteller you should make them up if there's a vampiric disease that's transmitted by the blood it needs to be supernatural and that's right should be a plot 
It should be a plot to cure it. And ultimately it should be something the vampire can get rid of or not as you choose. But you got to remember immortality should convey a definite benefit. One of them is a disease free life. And if somebody is getting diseased, develop a cure as well. Unless that's your whole plot of the game. And then that's, that's Bob's your uncle, you know, do your thing. And that's no big deal. Um, then it gets down to um, psychic powers in Vitae. And I actually like this a lot. This talks about how, what would it be like to feed on a person who can psychically actually project or read someone else's thoughts? What would that do to you? Um, the flavor, I think, should be the focus. I always felt that. That a person who has psychically charged blood, um, maybe, I should, eh, I'll describe it in a different way. Whenever I think of vampire feeds, I think it's such an emotional connection to who they're feeding from. I warrant even glimpses of, just for the scene, glimpses of their victim's life. Um, and from their perspective, as if they're that victim. All the extreme emotions, from the rage to the happiness, uh, sex, you know, whatever they feel, they have felt as immortal, a vampire should get a taste of that. Because at this point, I view it as a vampire is a monster leeching life from a mortal. Because they can't feel these emotions. They can't really feel love. That's gone to them. A vampire can't. They have no concept. They only know control. They know power. They know enslavement. Those are the things they do. And if a vampire says they love you, what it means is they like having you around because you're beautiful or you do something for them or they can pretend because in their memory, you remind them of someone they were in love with when they were alive. But you will never be someone they love with because they will always outlive you if nothing else happens. So they can't develop that attachment. It's just not in them. And however, when they feed from this person, they the memories and feelings they get from that person may be something reflected in them from ages past and that is the romanticism of a vampire is the ability to enjoy immortality and essentially you know through the ages right conversely what happens when a vampire feeds another vampire that's again what we're talking about the same thing if i feed on nate the vampiric prince elder who's from estonia back in the day you know and i'm from 1980s there should be a wash of emotion and power and lifetimes of bad decisions and good of extreme moments that I'm taking instantly. Right. These are all ways that you can color the story that you tell, because these are, these are all, I think, um, fundamental things that a lot of storytellers just wash over. They just whitewash. They tend to just move to the side to all the politics, to the clan business, to, you know, combat, to this, that, and the other. Remember, this is a game of personal horror. And personal horror can be told in a lot of different ways, one of which that's very effective that's put in here specifically to use is feeding of how blood is different, how the taste is different. And that's something that when you watch a movie about vampires, it's very difficult to get across. But if you read a book about vampires, you read a novel where they they dwell on that stuff, you, the, it's, a, it's a potent storytelling tool. Right. Let's call it honestly what it is. You're playing a vampire because of feeding. That's what it is. So yeah. it makes you a vampire. And, you know, take the burning in the sun and all that and the immortality, of, of course, those things too. But nothing as important to being a vampire that will make your player feel like a vampire than when they're feeding and they're taking, drinking in that life. That's what makes it. If you make it just a refill, like, you know, they're thirsty and need some water and they got some water, life moves on, you're really missing the point. And you'll water down your game. Right. Absolutely. That brings us to our next chapter, which is role-playing. And uh, these are a bunch of essays 
that are written by various authors that have contributed to the game to this point. Uh, I feel like um, spending too much time on these kind of defeats the purpose of reading them. This is a really important thing to read in this book. Uh, more so than any of the rules, more so than any of the prestation, more so than status and abilities, this is important to read. And us spending a lot of time on them, I personally think, and correct me if, I, if I'm off path here, but I feel like going over these individual uh, essays this is going to do them a disservice. Really, at best, we could read them and it'd be very dry. Right. I wouldn't do it. And, and we ain't got that kind of time. And it's going over the essence of acting, and we're doing a retrospective. We're not trying to teach people, well, how to act. Right. You know, <laughs> just how to portray a vampire and use the book effectively is all. Um, what the next section goes over is a large laundry list of combat um, uh, combat implements from guns to Joe staffs to swords to nunchaku, yeah, the- all the way to aircraft uh, missiles and military aircraft. The, the ever-present uh section with the tools oh my god i actually i am the dumb bastard storyteller actually did use a black hawk in a game (laughs) i forgot i fucking did that and yes i did (laughs) oh my lord okay i'm sorry um i hey by all means if you're a storyteller and you're running a military-based game like the sabat black hand and you need a vehicle and they got to use one hey it's in this book yeah they did make it um it's best to narrate them. God, I can't. I'm going to tell the little stories I have to. I Again, I referenced how in Arkansas, me and my friends from high school played this game. We're all playing this stuff. One person had breached the masquerade so bad that I, I got at least got this much right. I knew there were Archons and Justicars. And at the time, I felt Archons and Justicars were like the FBI. Like the Archons would get wind, wind of it. They'd get assignments, and they would go out to arrest this culprit and deal with it. And I'll never forget it. This guy ran all the way to a naval air force, or no, to an air force base he knew existed in real life, and so with me it had to portray in the real world. We we looked it up, and back then it was AOL dial up. <laughs> That's how long ago it was, and we're looking this up, okay? And so nobody can get a phone call at my house as we had to change the cat cable over, you know, the phone cable over so we could do it. It's ancient. And uh, bottom line is, oh my god, he jacked a helicopter, and I used the Blackhawk because it was there. And he was flying around the city with it. And I was like, this guy doesn't have any piloting. How is he flying this helicopter? The thought occurred to me as he's in it. And I already said he's flying around and I'll never forget it. Uh, it got so it, it was superhero crazy is what it got to is I had to use just cars in ways. I'm embarrassed. I did. And you know, but everybody had fun is the point The the snob in me decades later can go, Oh, what a horrible <laughs> fucking mistake. I can't believe it. But I'm also saying it to give you leeway. If you find yourself have ever done this, if you can't laugh at yourself and go, <laughs> I know the limit of theme, mood, and genre now, and I know how I broke the broke the mold and sort of broke the fourth dimension there, the fourth walls it said, if you're a right. Deadpool fan. That I did it with that. These they even give you these tools. I just wish they hadn't. <laughs> uh for that, but uh they did and it was a good memory, if not uh, an embarrassing one. So Yeah. Well, you know, if you ever really want to kill a player, you can use a <laughs> missile from. I'm not advising it, but there Tom are yeah. there are 120 millimeter guns that give you 30 dice. To, it's 30 30 dice of damage. Yes, it's ever present. If you ever wanted to know, here it is. Basically, every kind of thing you could ever need. If you if you decided you wanted to combine Vampire the Masquerade and Shadowrun, yes, and they get very and honestly that goes through all this section because they get to computers and how expensive they are and how to hack. Remember, this is the hacking era. Right. Hack the planet. 
I hecked a Gibson when I was 14. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, the good movie. Zero but, cool? Zero cool. Ancient, but that's... Yeah, drugs, <laughs> uh, yeah, all, all, the, all the cool stuff. Yeah, this is, uh, this is something that doesn't need to be gone over anymore. Uh, they do have a good tip for Havens if you wanted some quick ideas of how to do it when it's not an amazing Haven. Um, they got a little a starter a starter for what it might be. But by since this book, they've had tons of vampire movies and whatever, you have an idea of what a right. haven can look like. So. Right. And also, there's a whole book dedicated to it. So, yes. Uh, one cool thing that they do give you here at the end of this book, and uh, this is really useful only if you're playing second edition, but they give you a list of all the disciplines and where you can find them. What book they're in doesn't give you page number, but it does break down like, oh, man, uh, I can't remember where to find Lure of Flame. What book is that in? It's in this book here. To it's- tell you how minutiae they get. They have telescopes and their cost. <laughs> they have tools in here and they list them for woodworking. Right. One through five. Auto mechanics, you know, just showing you what you I mean, they really get right over the top detailed to kind of and again i know why they did it you know why they did it we mentioned it before i'll do it again right they did this because they're competing with dungeons and dragons and how detailed it gets for the players right. and all the other games that were out at the time we don't acknowledge them we only acknowledge the two the two top <laughs> these are the two top at that point um Shadowrun is to be mentioned because i love it but it's a it's a different ball wax different ball wax but that's it that's the yeah, book that's that's the book we've reached the end to an exhaustive amount but there you are. And uh, I, I would just say, like, most of the books that we've reviewed so far, these are great reference points to get a better understanding of, you know, how to play the game, how to role play, where certain things come from. But most people are probably not playing second edition. So, of course, there's a newer player's guide. There's a newer revised V20, etc. that you can that you can look at. Um, but I think that for what this is, is a very well put together book. It's very to the point. They get all the meat and potatoes out in front. Then they present you with the flavor, with the essays, with the, the perspective of the authors. And then at the back, hey, they cram you all all the the tables and charts that you could ever hope to have in case you felt your life was lacking in that. Um, good book altogether. Uh, introduction to two new bloodlines i think is really cool and uh uh we don't have a rating system but uh, it's it's worth picking up this book you know as a collector or if this is your you're gonna play second ed and that's where you decide you want to play I'm, I'm a little torn um is the book needed uh, yes 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 it's good to have i can't tell you how many times i've referred especially to the secondary abilities section of the book the different archetypes and I would say some uniqueness to the even the advanced powers that have inspired me for story format and to, you know, flesh out my NPCs, maybe to add in little tidbits of how unique character retainers can come. I'm known for retainers. And uh, that's there, there's a lot this book can give you. But again, Nate already said it. I'm a collector. You know, I have them all. Really, that's I've had them all in my collection right now. Or if they're really old or obscure, I have a PDF format. And uh, that's because I gave away my old library. Because you upgrade, you don't keep. Not usually. Right. It's only in nostalgic format and doing this podcast I decided that maybe I should have kept. But it's all right. (laughs) Right. Same thing here. So, um, but regardless, um, fun book for all the reasons we went over it. But if you listen to the podcast, really, (laughs) 
you get an idea what it is. And if you crack open your new Vampire 20th anniversary, uh, ver- anniversary edition, I can't talk today. That's okay. Anniversary edition. You think you can't talk, but you've been doing it for three hours. So Silencio. All right. So, <laughs> so, but if you get it in there, uh, most of what we talked about has been updated and streamlined to work really, really good. And uh, I approve of that system 100%. But it's good for a throwback. And there are some unique things in here. Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. We hope you all enjoyed it. Our next review is Storyteller's Handbook to the Sabbat. Yeah. So we get uh, we get some more Sabbat, and then after that, we go on to Dark Colony. So we Woo! get to, we get to address a, another city book, and those should be entertaining. Expect Dark Colony to be long. Storyteller's Handbook to the Sabbat is a delicious dirty secret it's like eating a dozen Krispy creams you did it yourself in an hour <laughs> that's what you're gonna feel like oh my god i can't believe i did that that's how you're gonna feel reading yeah. that book i think we uh, we we've established that we're fans of the sabbat so i'm like that's <laughs> vampire's cool sabbat's the game that's my jam so all righty well uh without further ado we will let you go and we will talk to you next week enjoy good night